1: Listening to the Voices of
0: Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Ex out, go listen to some boring podcast with a afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing.
1: And Rich Crage. <laughs>
0: hey, who him. delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I in like in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop
1: yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crater alongside. As always, the King. And the expert of Jersey trash culture, it is Joe Lanza. Joe, what's going on? That's right. And that was you, quite the uh, segment on the uh, the voice wrestling Patreon. I uh, enjoyed that a lot. I learned a lot. I, I initially thought I'm like, oh god, what is Joe doing? And if people don't know, uh, you broke down the Enzo Amore uh, Joey Janela Blink 182 fight uh, on the Patreon, and 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 gave some great insights into Jersey trash culture that I didn't know. I you uh, kind of blew my mind with the idea that like, because me when I think of Jersey Shore, I always just think of. The TV show, I feel, I think of the trash people, and and I know that they, you know, went there for the summer, but I guess I didn't realize that they just never were like that. They're usually not there. That it's usually your Janellas of the world, your you know, cheapest like your Marlboro smoking, you know, beer can on the beach type guys, like a Janella, and not your your GTL trash guys. So I, I learned a lot there. That was that was good.
0: Yeah, they invade for the summer. Yeah,
1: they are, uh... and it makes sense in retrospect when you watch that show because it's all about going down there for the summer. So right. I should have known that, but I'm I'm for whatever reason it wasn't until you uh, you shined a light on it that I learned a little bit more. So that was, that was yeah. very insightful.
0: Full breakdown on the Patreon. Um, I did get upset though because I listened back and I lost like a full there's a full minute of audio that's lost where I did these great comparisons to uh, Goodfellas characters. And it just got lost. I don't know. It just got eaten up in the audio. I'm sure, the
1: I'm sure it's the best audio you've ever recorded.
0: It, it was so good, like
1: because you <laughs> hear probably, like, probably right. Because I mean, we always say that when we have like a flagship that got nuked back in the day. But this was legitimately like great, right?
0: No, it was really good. Like I start talking about Janela and Enzo if they were like part of the mob and how they would be. I think that part remained. Then there's this weird long pause, and it's just for whatever reason, the next minute didn't record. And I had this great comparison, like these Goodfellas compare. And then when the audio comes back, I'm in the middle of that discussion talking about how that when they whacked, you know, stacks by Samuel L. Jackson, but, and then it's all out of context and people are probably like, why is he talking about Samuel L. Jackson getting whacked in Goodfellas totally out of context here? It's because there's like a minute worth of audio that just got lost and it's gone. I checked the original recording. I checked the source. It's all, it's gone on everything. So um, that, that sullied my beautiful piece of audio art today, but still, I think a good summary for people who aren't from New Jersey to sort of the the dynamics of that fight and how they uh, Janela and Enzo really are on opposite sides of a decades-long war. It's true, and uh, that definitely is contributing to the issues they're having, so won't give it all away here. $5 tier.
1: Patreon. <laughs> the big bucks. You got to pay the big bucks. That's right. Jersey breakdown. Yeah.
0: Patreon.com slash voices wrestling. It is the first 20 minutes of the Thursday TV review. Yeah, where, where do
1: you stand on the? Where Where are you? Where is Joe Lanza on the north south?
0: Okay. So I grew up in central Jersey.
1: Ooh. Which, so where, what, you guys are not involved in this then, right?
0: It's kind of like Switzerland, you know? But the, the bottom line is this nobody likes the North Jersey douchebags. Nobody likes them. So it's kind of like, even though you're neutral, you understand why the South Jersey douchebags hate the North Jersey douchebags. You totally get it. So uh, that's kind of where a Central Jersey person would stand. They're called another piece of audio that got chopped out was I broke down why they're called Bennys. Okay, B E N N Y. Benny is what you is what the people in South Jersey. Call the douchebags from North Jersey who invade in the summer. It is a as an acronym for the first letter, like the train line. It's Bayonne, Elizabeth, Nork, and New York. B E N N Y. Oh, okay, and all right, Benny. So that's like the path of the train that takes those motherfuckers back home at the end of the summer, right? So they call them Bennies. That's a it's another uh, you know slang term, and and, and you know uh, seaside Tonys, which I that piece of the audio didn't get lost, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, so that's what you, that's Enzo to a T yeah. he's a Benny, you know, he's from North Jersey. Um, he pretends he's from New York, which is like another mark of a, of North Jersey douchebag. Like, you know, they, 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 they perpetrate like they're from New York, but they're not. And, and he's a total Benny and, and, you know, Janela, he's, he's the real deal. He's a South Jersey dirtbag. He would tell you that himself you said joey are you a south jersey dirtbag he'd say absolutely that's what i am you know i, I smoke cigs on the beach i, I have ciggy breath I, I i drink my beers
1: domestic he drinks a domestic can of beer while on the beach
0: absolutely and they don't like when those bennies come to town in the summer and there, there's fights like that except with actual punches thrown every single day in the summer down the shore that's what you say in new jersey rich you say down the shore.
1: Sounds miserable. It sounds like a terrible experience. It's awful. I don't it's think it's ever gonna go. So.
0: And as I explained on the audio, the people actually from South Jersey, they leave their own beach towns in the summer to go to like Maryland because they want to get away from the Bennies who come in from North Jersey and from Brooklyn and from Staten Island and from Long Island and from Providence, Rhode Island and from uh, Connecticut. They leave their own th- their own homes to go vacation somewhere else, even though they live on a beach. That's how annoying they are. But anyone who saw Jersey Shore knows that.
1: Right, 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 right. So I yeah. learned a little. Yeah, because I, 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 you know, I knew that they, had, like I said, I knew that they came for the summer. and That was kind of the quote that they came from the summer. But I just assumed they lived a few you know, minutes away or like, you know, you go to the beach house. Or you spend more time at the beach in the summer. That's always what I thought. I didn't think it was a full a transportation of like an entire you know, region of people moving from one end of the, the, the state to the other. So that was, that was pretty interesting to learn.
0: Do me, do me a favor after yeah. the show. Google Seaside Tony. Watch the video. <laughs> that's all you need to know. It can't. If it, it, it's just the Enzo Amore character. It like hits home if you're from the region. Like that's re- he's a real person. There are many Enzo Amores running around that part of the country. People don't think it's true, but it's real.
1: Right, I'm looking at seaside Tony here. So he reminds me of uh, there's seaside Tony. There was the one that made fun of it. What was the uh, the my new haircut guy? That's an, uh, well, an my, old Yeah, my new haircut, yeah that's same, old along those cut, same yeah.
0: lines. Yeah, along those same lines. Absolutely. But Seaside Tony, listen to the lyrics, watch the video when you get a chance. It, it, it's just a total—that's the Enzo thing, you know. That's you'll see. You'll like, oh my God, these people are real. The
1: Enzos and the Live Morgans—they're real
0: people. They're
1: real people. Uh, man. They're,
0: they're real people. <laughs> I wish
1: they were. But... <laughs> they're absolutely. Luckily, I'm a half a country away from them, so I don't have to worry about it. But why
0: they change her name? Like Gianna Daddio.
1: Oh, like that was biggest... a great name. I was so pissed when they changed her name because that is the like she's just loudly chopping on gum. She's just essence, wearing leopard print all the time.
0: Just the essence of a Benny. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. What was it? It's was Gianna. What is it? Gianna? Uh, Daddyo. Daddio. Oh my god. That's like god. her real what name. Too, yeah, right? I know. People... That's oh Jesus. And, they had it. it.
0: One more, and we'll move on. She she was she grew up in the same hometown as Dick Vital. Does that bring a full circle or what? <laughs> yes. You can't awesome. make it up.
1: Have they ever up. had a conversation? Has Dickie it's... V and uh, and an old Daddio ever had a conversation?
0: I don't know, but doesn't it make too much sense? Like Dick Vital from that part of the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's too much, you know. Is these greasy Italians? That's what we are up there, you know. So uh, yeah, but listen, five dollars, Patreon.com. Yeah, this is the
1: sampling the of This entire thing, you get an educate. You get a uh, a Ph.D. level course on Jersey trash culture.
0: Even uh, with the this- missing piece of audio, I go deep. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, God. All right. We have tons to get to this week on the Voice Wrestling flagship. We are talking about AW's Fight for the Fall. We're going to preview that. We're going to preview uh, WWE Extreme Rules 2019. We're going to preview Evolve 131. We're going to talk about a great match at Riptide Wrestling. We're going to do that right off the top of the show. We're also going to review Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. We're also going to review the G1 Climax opening night, which you went to live Oh yeah, and there's also Junakiyama stepping down as All-Japan president, and then the uh, the the president of CMLL dying and being replaced by his 28-year-old daughter. So, uh, not a whole lot to get to It's like a pretty light week for the most part, but Jesus, there's so much going on. And and we wanted to start first off with uh, uh, Riptide Wrestling. When have we ever, a, uh, like you mentioned on, on on the Patreon side, when have we ever talked about Riptide Wrestling? Unless and, and, and we're just talking about, you know, the, the production values of which I love, but we're starting the shoujo with Riptide Wrestling, and the match is Pac versus Cara Noir. You uh, were talked about that you saw this match a little bit ago. It was from July 5th, uh, 2019. We had the link. It, it started going around a little bit. You know, this is, this is you know, we, we're we're tastemakers, man. I, I've i been watching the views of this video. They're going up a lot. You know? A-Kid, hey talk to A-Kid, hey man. <laughs> like, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, you want a bowl
1: of booking, you talk to us.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I watched this match, and, um, you know, because I, I had seen people talking about it. Uh, Barry Murphy was the first person I saw talking about this match. Uh, he's a listener, and, uh, and 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 we follow him on Twitter. And um, so I, I, I checked it out because it was Pac, you know. And I, you know, and I, I think he's having a tremendous year. I've never seen this. Kara uh, Noir, is it Noir like film Noir? Yeah, I think
1: so. I, I think so, but we're probably going to be wrong, and someone's going to get really mad. But whatever, we're going to go with that.
0: I'm going to stick with Karen Noir. So this – I I was unfamiliar with this guy. Um, Now, since I went and found a bunch of his stuff because I I, want to catch up on this guy. Um, But first of all, Riptide. Now, you've talked about Riptide before because you're a production nerd, and you love the way they produce and shoot their wrestling. So do you want to talk about that for a second? And then we'll get into the match. Um, what did you think of this particular match? Did you like the way this was shot and the way this was, uh, the, the, some of the angles they were using and those
1: sorts of things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Before we get to the match itself, uh, yeah, production-wise, they they're always are really good. Because what they do, if you haven't seen it before, it is sort of the, I, and I think progress was maybe the first one that I would say really took that next leap into kind of being like, all right, no, no, there there is WWE style, which we know is everything's bright, primary colors, everything's lit, the crowd's lit, the, the rooting's lit, the arena's lit, like everything's lit. Progress is the first one where you really saw where it's like, all right, they kind of wanted to give you a, a bar atmosphere, but do it intentionally. You know, it's not it, it's it's dimly lit on purpose. Progress was kind of the first to do that, where there was a little bit of shadows. It was it had a little bit of grime to it. The mat was a little, you know, a little weird looking. Lucha Underground kind of did it to the same extent. It wasn't, you know, dark, but it was a little grimy, a little less sort of bright, uh, you know, for the most part. And then Riptide, when I first saw them a few years ago, uh, when they published their first video, I was blown away by the way they did it, because what they do is, there's not a hard cam. And I think we're so used to in wrestling. There's always that hard cam play to the hard cam. The hard cams on this side of the ring. It's just, you know, they'll, they'll do tight shots. They'll do close shots, but they're always, will go back to the hard cam. They'll, they'll, that's the, the, the easiest thing to do is go to the hard cam. And that's the best way to get a, a shot of the entire ring to get a shot of the crowd reacting or whatever, Well, riptide. What they do is, is, is they do a few different angles. They have low angles, they have high angles and they'll go back and forth, but it feels like there's never at any point one singular camera that you can call the quote unquote, you know, hard camera. There, there isn't. It's a lot of movement around, like, but it's not shaking moving around. It's moving around in the sense that like the person running the camera has to move a little bit, but it's fine. It keeps you sort of in the atmosphere. It keeps you feeling like you're right into the ring, and that's that's I think intentional as well. Is that the people doing it? and I know the guys that are shooting it. It's all it's a, it's an actual production studio, so they they know what they're doing. The idea is that like you're just kind of there. You know what I mean? You're in the crowd. You don't feel like if you're watching WWE Extreme Rules this Sunday, you're not going to feel like you're in that crowd. You, you know, it's got too much polish, it's got too much refinement. This one, it does. It feels like you're you're kind of there when the when the mat moves, when there's a big move. It kind of you know, it has a little bit of like sort of movement to it. Not the Kevin Dunn shake, but a little you know, just a little bit of movement. Another thing they do too is 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 they darkly you know the the crowd is pretty dark, but you can still kind of see them, and the ring is lit very differently. It's it, it's pretty harsh. Like the guys in the ring are are just like bathed in light. And they have smoke going on throughout the entire thing, too. Very subtle, but they have kind of smoke in the background, which that's, lets the light sort of shine a little bit more, lets it sort of... I, I don't know. It, it, it's very, very interesting. You have to kind of watch it to get it. But once you see it, you'll, you'll know that, okay, this is pretty cool. Defy uh, in, in Seattle does a, a similar-ish type to this. not a, I'll say not as good as Riptide, but pretty damn close. But uh, no, for the production values of this match, I thought were awesome. It, and it really got across, uh, And especially when we're going to talk about this match, because this match is so much a an atmosphere match, a, a crowd reaction match, a, a, a match between two people where you want to feel like you're there and you're in the experience and you're, you're watching it you know, real time. And this does a great job. The production does an incredible job making you feel like you're there in that building watching these guys wrestle. So, yeah, I, two thumbs up for sure on the production for this one.
0: It's cinematic. I yes. think it is. The well, they, they even say that. They right. call
1: themselves cinematic independent wrestling. They, they know yeah. what they're doing. It's not like just by accident they came across this. They, this is their intention is to make it look like this.
0: It's beautifully shot, and I think that you got to be careful because at the end of the day, it is pro wrestling, and you can't go overboard, get a little too artsy with it. Sure, but they don't. I think they walk that line uh, just fine. It's funny how you say the use of smoke. I just went to a show this past weekend, the day after the G One Alliance Pride Wrestling Show in Texas, uh, to see L Lindemann and T Hawk. Uh, Cause when the hell am I ever going to see those guys live? So in I Texas, <laughs> in freaking Texas! Right, yeah. In Texas, <laughs> turns out they were hanging out with Lance Hoyt all weekend, according to his Twitter feed, uh, swimming in his pool. I don't know how he knows I'll end up in Hawk, but good for him, I guess. Uh, but anyway, um, and, and also the King of Texas tournament, Rich, where uh, Barrett Brown was crowned the King of Texas. So congratulations to Barrett Brown. Um, but uh, my point here is they also use smoke. And I put some videos up on Twitter and I put a few videos up behind our paywall on the Patreon Lanza lens. The problem is they use a little too much smoke and it yeah, like it's, was on fire.
1: It did, yeah. I was like, I watched one of the videos and I'm like, Joe, what is going on? In that bill? I thought they were like, I thought I, I didn't know what the venue was and, and I knew you were busy and you said you didn't have much signal and I wanted to ask you, were they like wrestling in like a barbecue <laughs> like restaurant or whatever? Because like that would make sense that someone's like smoking ribs in the background and and, and you know it, It's totally Texas that this King of Texas tournament would happen next to a barbecue. So I was kind of surprised, but yeah, it was a little a little too heavy on the smoke. Good good intentions, but yeah, maybe reel it in a little.
0: Yeah, it was and it's just and the smoke was just kinda out of control, but that's kinda same same kind of deal here. Um, but but as far as the match itself, so this match, I loved it. Okay, and I was looking through my notes before the show. It, it it I think it's my favorite independent wrestling match this year. And I'm not gonna count Rev Pro matches that are like new Japan guys. I think that's cheating. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna count um yeah, you know, some
1: random Ishii match that we watched. Yeah, we watched live at <laughs> WrestleMania weekend. That, you know, all, a, a ton of the stuff on that show, the WrestleMania weekend rep pro show was awesome. But like, does that, yeah, it's just like, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. and Roshi Tanahashi, like in a tag match. You know, that's, yeah, that's it's, it's,
0: it's you know, Suzuki and Sabre Jr. versus Willow Spray and Tanahashi. <laughs> right. I
1: mean, that's, come on. It's not an indie
0: match, okay? <laughs> right. But but my, my, you know, and I may have liked this better than that anyway. But it's like, you know, I, I was looking through my notes and, and, You know, there's some, you know, the Willow Spray A-Kid match from Spain. That was a tremendous match. There was the um, uh, um, Jay Freddie versus Brandon Thurston match from Beyond.
1: Of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: I thought that was a great match. There was Gary Jay versus Jake Parnell from WrestleMania weekend, the uh, independent wrestling TV family reunion show. I went four and a half on that. Those guys always have great matches. And then there's this. I mean, I think it's, it's just as good, if not better, than all of those matches as far as the best indie matches I've seen this year. And it's like, Pac comes out as a surprise. They didn't know who this man's opponent was going to be, right? So initially, the crowd hears his music and he comes out and he gets the superstar Pac. Oh, it's, yeah, he's it's god. Because they weren't expecting to see Pac on this night. So he gets that superstar Pac. People are happy. They're like, wow, I get to see Pac tonight. But Rich, for the rest of the match, they were behind their guy. And it made for an incredible atmosphere because they wanted this Cara Noir to win this match so badly. And Pac is so good at wrestling to his character. We talk about that all the time. Uh, Sometimes we talk about that with Marty Skrull when he's particularly on his game. But Pac is just another level, especially this year, in terms of wrestling to his gimmick and wrestling to to who he is. If you were a casual fan in that building and had had no idea who Pac was, maybe you're a WWE fan, your your family, your your friends, your family dragged you to that show, you do nothing of independent wrestling or whatever, whatever the case, you would understand and get the gist of what Pac is all about five minutes into the match. His facial expressions, his mannerisms, the way he works. He's a bastard, and it comes through with his work that he's a bastard and 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 he's so easy to root against. And he's having this great year, and he's like, this came off like the very best example of a popular, local underdog babyface against a traveling world champion, which is really what the exactly what the match was. You had this international world champion superstar who never does a job, and you had this local hometown home promotion underdog. And he wrestled it as such. They didn't work a match where Karen Noir was on the same level as Pac. Right. And it would have been wrong to do that. Right. The first
1: 20 minutes of this match, he's getting his ass just absolutely handed to
0: him. Yes! Handed to him. To the point where Pac is basically toying with him eventually at at points during this match. but And and, and that made for the better story. That made for the better story than trying to just... than Pac just coming into town, into this random promotion and just giving the guy a 50-50 match that wouldn't have worked no matter how many kickouts they did at the end, no matter how many great moves with a Z they did that wouldn't have worked well as what they, what they did do here. Okay. So Pac's work was off the fucking charts and he's having an incredible year. And for me, off the back of this match, he has vaulted ahead of Kento Miyahara in my running wrestler of the year list where Willow spray is just way ahead of everyone. And now Pac is my number two, right? Because he keeps having matches like this and he doesn't peak as high as Kento Miyahara. I think Kento Miyahara has had better matches than Pac this year. And I think Kento Miyahara is having the the the, the year the best year of his career. And is doing great character work too. But Pac is just on another level with working to who he is. And getting over the idea of who he is and what his gimmick is and what his character is. And the work in this match was great. This crowd, okay? uh, The G1 Dallas, I was going to come on this show and just... Praise the crowd that I was part of. That G1 Dallas crowd was incredible, and I'm glad it came across on TV because uh, it certainly came across live, even though half hey, three quarters of the building was empty. And I'm glad it came across. But this Riptide crowd was even better because they totally bought into the story that these two were telling. It would have been so easy for them to just cheer for Pac because right. a big star came to town. But they didn't, and they were red hot from bell to bell to post-match angle you know, which Pac wasn't even a part of, but it, this promotion runs their own angle after the match. that's fine, you know? And just as a total package, I finished watching this and wasn't, I w- was not expecting what I got. This is my favorite independent wrestling match of the year. And it was so good that I'm seeking out more of this Cara Noir. So he better not stink because I'm going to waste my time watching three or four matches I found. <laughs> yeah. But his whole presentation too, he's like, Goldust.
1: He's kind of a fan of the Opera Goldust clone thing, like, and, and there's some
0: Liberace in there. Yeah, there's yeah,
1: yeah. And there's, and, some, uh,
0: there's some Darby yeah, Allen in there. Yeah, a one.
1: lot of Darby. Yeah.
0: It, it, it's like Goldust, Liberace, and Darby Allen had a fucking freeway, which is plausible. And this was the fucking end result. Like that's and this he's got the cape. The guy's got a lot of charisma, you know. And 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 he's a tremendous. I don't know what he does normally. I'm gonna find out. But he's a tre- he was tremendous in this role as like an underdog babyface. What did you think?
1: Yeah, so I, I I loved it as well, and I'm kind of rewatching it now as we're uh, we're talking here and just kind of getting sucked into it again. I mean, people that haven't seen the match and 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 we put a link in the we'll put a link in the description as well. Uh, if not, just seek it out. Karen Noir versus Pac Riptide. It should be pretty easy to find uh, from July 5th, uh, 2019. It um, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, what you'll be really struck by, like we said, is that the first really the first 20 minutes is Pac just like absolutely just. Eating this guy alive, just destroying him. And 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 Karen Noir is 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 interestingly enough, and, and it kind of got the crowd invested too. He just wants to shake Pac's hand. And that's sort of the story of the match is that no matter what Pac's doing to him, he just wants to shake his hand. And 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 some people might see this as him being kind of a geek or him being a comedy guy, but really it's him playing mind games. If you really watch the structure of the match, he, he he's trying to get under Pac's skin. By, you know, not just laying down, by getting up and then saying, hey, shake my hand, and Pac gets gets infuriated by this. And just little by little, as you said, kind of toying with him and saying, no, I could put you away, and I could beat you right now, but I want to embarrass you in front of this crowd. I want to embarrass you in front of your crowd. You know, I'm the invader, and this is your home crowd, and and you're trying to make, you know, you're trying to have a joke here and, and hey, shake my hand and all this bullshit. That's not going to happen. And that's like the first 15 or so minutes of the match is that. Is is, is Pac knocking this guy down? This guy putting his hand up for a handshake, and then Pac laughing it off, and then knocking him down again. And you would think that would get boring, but like it just keeps escalating a little bit more and more. And Pac does even more big moves, and then this guy gets up and puts the hand out. And like you said, similar to a Darby Allen type. The best part about Darby Allen is he'll take a beating and then just get up. And it's like, what are you doing? Stay down. Like, don't get up. Like, you're done, man. I'm beating you. But but that's the part that makes everybody invested in Darby, and that gets the crowd invested in this too. And you, you mentioned a little bit about. You know, that the crowd, you know, played their role and they could have booed Pac or they could have cheered Pac. But the thing is, he was being such a fucking asshole that, like, I think that they what because you can see the first few times that the handshake thing is happening and the yada yada, like they're they're still kind of cheering Pac, but he's such a dickhead and he's so good at doing that that they you can't help you can't cheer for this guy. Ten minutes into this match, you'd be an idiot to cheer for this guy because he's such a prick. And 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 Noir is being such a you know a good guy and just trying to get a goddamn handshake out of this guy that the crowd gets invested in it. So that I'll I'll give credit to the crowd for saying hey this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna cheer for our guy and and not cheer for this guy. But I think Pac too we got to give him credit because he could have just as easily done all really cool moves and play to the crowd and do the cool heel thing. But he's not. He's just being an absolute dickwad. The entire time and i think that's an important part about it too is that he does play that role to perfection but yeah then you get you know a, a little bit of hope spots from 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 noir there and the crowd is popping for every little bit of that it's a little bit more 50 50 towards the end but then it just becomes you know at, at any point where noir has a little bit of momentum pac just puts him down because pac is very clearly the better of the two i mean pac is the guy that's not going to lose you know that he's probably not going to lose this match That like, care noir is going to lose it but it's just a matter of okay you know, how is it going to happen? How long is this guy going to survive? And I don't know. Maybe he does surprise us and, and get this victory. Maybe he does do something insane and get the victory. But, no, I think they played it to absolute perfection. And The crowd is just – the crowd is living and dying by every single move. And, yeah, you got to go out of your way and watch it. It is. And, and you mentioned some of those guys, too, like a Will Ospreay and a Kanto Miyahara and these sort of guys. And what I think is impressive about Pac being in the mix with those guys as a wrestler of the year is that Pac isn't going out there. And, and, and again, I don't give a shit that these guys do this. But a Will Osprey is going out there, and he's killing himself to have great matches. I don't mean that literally. I mean he's working his ass off. You, you know, what I mean he, a, a guy like a, a Naito and a Bushi, those guys work their asses off to have great matches. Pac is I mean, for being Pac, for being what Pac used to be. This guy, I mean, he. How many big spots are in this match that you would say off the top of your head that Pac does?
0: He listen. He definitely. You're, you're absolutely right, and he actually changed that style while he was with WWE. Right
1: and but he's a minimalist this time and it's awesome like it's it's fun in this in 2019 to have a guy who who can do that you know can do it too and that's uh, actually one of the fun parts about his story his character is that people still and and it's probably gonna happen for a while because he does do it every so often he he will break out of a phoenix splash he will break out something spectacular every so often so people know that he can do it and it's almost more frustrating that he comes to your town and then doesn't do it does that make sense
0: Cause he's getting over without that stuff.
1: Right. And it's like the crowd, I think is like, Oh cool. It's Pac. And then it's like Pac, just like kicking somebody. And you're like, well, I thought you were going to do Pac stuff. And like, he'll do it. You know, he'll beat you maybe at the end, but then there's the matches that he had, you know, in, in uh, what was it? Uh, rep pro. Right. Yeah. Am I thinking of the one where he just, he could have finished off, uh, who was that against? I'm blanking on who that was now. That match I really it's enjoyed. The,
0: uh, it may have been the oh, couple shit. different pro matches he had. So That's the
1: one I'm thinking of. There's a, It went to a time limit. And like Pac could have finished him off, but he just chose not to.
0: Was that the Chris Brooks match, or did the Chris Brooks match end in the? It may
1: box? have been the Will Osprey. Was it Will yeah, Osprey at High Stakes? I think that's yeah, that. I think it was Will that off, one. Yeah. Where, where again, it's like Will just like challenging Pox. Like, come on, man! Like, give me your best. And Pox is like, Nah, I'm he good. really handwave them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. And then he's like, All right, cool. You can finish me off. You can pin me. And he's, like, Nah, I'll let the. I'll go to time limit. It's cool. I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm good. And I love it. It's just he's playing it to. Perfection. It's just so good. What Pac's doing right now is just next level great. It's he's awesome.
0: so good. Yeah, he's incredible. It's just he has his the heel charisma that he exudes and the way that he works. It's just uh, you, you got to watch to understand. He's doing the same thing in Dragon Gate too. I mean, you know whether it's uh, ragdolling Dragon Kid around or or the KZ match. Oh Rag-Dolling
1: god, the KZ match is awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's 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 like you know he's it's not like he's not peaking high. I mean, I don't think he's having the same caliber a year of Miyahara, but I don't think he's far off. And I think everything else just puts him over the top. And, and look, I don't mind at all that he refuses to do jobs and that he's protective of that Dragon Gate title. He spent the better part of six years in Dragon Gate before he went to WWE. He's loyal to people there. He's loyal to the company. He respects that he's the world champion there. And uh, it's an old school mentality. And yeah. one that I don't particularly mind,
1: Joe. I I think the wrestling would be a lot better. I don't mean not if everybody did it, but I think wrestling would be a lot better if more people did it. it you know, and, we're, and not only not being like a total asshole about now nah, I don't, but like being protective of like, no, I'm the champ, man. Like, nah, <laughs> you know, I'm coming to your town. I'm a big star. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing a fifty-fifty match, and I'm not jobbing. I you think can it's book.
0: fine. Yeah, you can book me, but you know, I'm I'm not losing to Chris Brooks. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of deal where it's like. uh, you know, I I totally understand it. You know, I'm not losing to to uh, Cara Noir. I'm just not doing it. And and a lot of promotions have gotten around it by putting them in three ways, and then the other, the you know, the third guy takes the fall. He does a lot of DQs. The thing about the Pac DQs, Rich, is I think they help his gimmick. Absolutely. Like I think it enhances what he's doing. When well, he I said it's a
1: ball. frustration. It's like, damn, yeah. dude, you're so good. Why are you being so bad? Like you don't have to do that.
0: And if you know here's the thing though are we being fair if he wasn't as good at this as he is would would we still have the same opinion of the refusal to do jobs
1: Uh yeah no, probably not I mean yeah he's he's the fact that he's good at it and you know we're fans of him probably help
0: yeah, I mean, but... it's part of his bastard gimmick and all that you know cuz that definitely plays into it I mean cuz it works for his gimmick and I think that helps him
1: Yeah Where- but I think we, you know honestly though you, you know, for people that listen to the show you know you and I we think if you're a star, you should just win all the fucking time. You yeah. know, like it is this weird thing for wrestling where like if I want to be pushed and I want to push this guy, I just have to win a lot because that's how wrestling worked for 80 years is guys that are stars win. You, you, you make
0: a good point because let's, <laughs> let's, let's look at it this way. If Kento Miyahara went off to Europe and worked a bunch of different indies, we wouldn't even expect him to lose. It wouldn't even be a question of, oh, he has to refuse to do the jobs. Why should Pac job if he's a world champion? Exactly. So it's like we're almost – it's like because no one has cared about this shit for the last decade and a half or whatever, it's almost like he feels like an outlier. But in reality, why should he ever lose if he's a world champion? We would never expect Kazuchika Okada to go to ROH and lose, right? And no one makes a big deal of the fact that Kazuchika Okada goes to ROH and doesn't do jobs. Or Rev Pro and do jobs, or that, you know, these other world champions. So, why is it we, we sort of treat this differently? Like, we make it a big deal that this guy doesn't do jobs. Good for him. He should. And, and because he ha- treats that belt with such reverence and respect, okay, it puts him on all of those other guys' levels. Whereas, if he went to all of these indies on his downtime from Dragon Gate, and just did whatever the promoter said and put over to local guys and lost a bunch of matches, he wouldn't have the aura he has right, right now. Well,
1: it would be done by now. It'd be over. I mean, he'd just be a guy out there having pretty good matches, and, and that'd be it. He wouldn't have that Pac aura that we talk about where, like you said, you watched this match because Pac was in it. That aura right. is gone if, if, if he's just out there having 50-50 matches and, and winning some and losing some and, and doing some cool moves and then taking the job. Or whatever. Like that would have been gone in, in three months. The, the, oh, Pac's on the Indies thing would have been long gone. I mean, he's, he's, it lasted quite a while already. And yeah, you're still, you see Pac on a, on a a video title and you click it.
0: And then what does more for Ben K this, or if the guy was out there doing jobs, right? Now Ben K is going to beat a guy presumably who hasn't lost a match in fucking forever. I couldn't tell you the last time this guy took a pin WWE, right? I mean, he hasn't taken a pin. He hasn't dropped the fall since like fucking Enzo Amore on a fucking house show somewhere or something. Right.
1: I mean. No, absolutely. And 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 we act like this is like a brand, brand new thing, but it's like, you know, you go back, even I remember Brian Danielson would, would, I mean, jobs in in, in his prime and ring of honor. People kind of assume that, oh, yeah, he probably he go back and look at a lot of the like yeah. a lot of the results that dude did not lose very often. He very, very rarely lost until he was basically either between titles or on his way out. He was a very protected guy, and guys were. I mean, the stars were protected. It's not. It's like this, but we've gotten used to in the last, you know, sort of the PWG style where it's like, ah, wins and losses. Who cares? Just go out there and have a fun match. Right. And and that's not what it has been forever, and it's probably not what it should be either. I I much prefer knowing who the stars are and the stars being protected. That's just me, though. I I like that style.
0: I agree, and you know, this Karen Noir losing this match. I mean, it, it means nothing. This is the most. This is the. Most high-profile match this guy has had. It's going to do nothing but help him. Just look, someone like me is going out and seeking out his stuff. You know, so you go out there and have a great match with a guy like that. It it, it, it doesn't really matter whether you win or lose. The effect is the same right, for the opponent. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, definitely a, a great match to check out if you can. Like I said, a link is in the uh, description. We'll, we'll make sure to put it. If for whatever reason I forget or <laughs> it doesn't work for you, Karen uh, Noir versus Pac July 5th, 2019. Riptide Wrestling is how you find that. All right, so we got plenty to get to, but before we do that. Yeah, hold on. I got, the, I got,
0: I got the upset wife over here. What's, what's the problem?
1: Oh. Doesn't like to oh, talk so, out Okay, there.
0: so there's no Diet Coke.
1: Mm.
0: So she's forced to drink a Coke Zero, and she's distraught. Coke Zero <laughs> is so much better than Diet Coke. It's it's like not even close. I don't know why you can't just accept that. I don't have a strong
1: opinion on this, so I can't uh, I can't say anything. Oh, a whole spark plug <laughs> there.
0: It is a pain that we have to get two different colas, which is why I'm saying if you would just convert to the Coke Zero.
1: Makes you nauseous. Well, there you go. Can't buy her the stuff that doesn't make her nauseous. Joe, come she on. Died. We
0: do. We get the two different
1: sodas. Good. We'll keep doing it. Or She's you upset. should. Cha- Why don't you change? Why does she have to change for you? I don't have a good answer for that. But- <laughs> I was going to say. You, has that ever presented as an option of 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 you switching to hers?
0: No. <laughs> Coke Zero is clearly the superior of the two, though.
1: I, I mean, get. I have no strong opinion. You about
0: do this, a so. taste test. People are going to prefer to Coke Zero.
1: It's not that bullshit, like I don't know if that's true. It's not that bullshit, like gold can Diet Coke, right?
0: No, it's the silver. Okay, what well, you know what
1: I'm talking about. It's like the caffeine-free, sugar-free. No, caffeine like, what is that? Not, yeah, no, no, no. yeah, that's.
0: Why would okay. I drink any of this if it didn't have caffeine in it? I mean, that's well, the-
1: I didn't know if she was different. I just wanted to make sure. So
0: no, no, no. It's it's the caffeine. I mean, she's drinking the Coke Zero. I mean, she she's not. Refusing the Coke Zero. Well, so. If
1: it makes her nauseous, then you're a bad guy. So, How
0: does that make me a bad guy? That she's out of Diet Coke. <laughs> go out there,
1: and get, go out there
0: and get her a Diet Coke. Come Maybe on. she should ration her Diet Cokes better, and she wouldn't. What run are you out. doing
1: all day? What are you doing all day?
0: You don't drink as many as me because that's all I drink. <laughs> I, I almost never. That's correct. <laughs> My body's breaking down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I, I heard. See, this is funny. You say you're in uh, you know, top-peak physical form. She claims I, your body's breaking down. She sees you every day. Listen, so, you know. I stay
0: in top-peak physical form. Uh, These are lies. I'm very good on those steps. Those steps, up and down all day. I'm winded sometimes. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The truth's coming out. I like this.
0: This was a mistake.
1: You know, it's it's, a bad you know, idea. I should you watch know, like
0: Golden Girls or something? Jeez, come down here. You're ripping me it's true i did she got a big smirk on her face
1: too. she knows yeah she knows she did it this isn't getting deleted either this is staying on it's gold
0: read the ad rich
1: <laughs> read the ad all right here we are anyway uh thank you lovely Brittany, for jumping on to the voice wrestling flagship anyway uh plenty to get to but i do want to let everybody know that this episode of the voice wrestling flagship podcast is sponsored by our friends At ZipRecruiter, and hiring, Joe, as you know, is very challenging, but there is one place you can go where hiring is simple, it's fast, and it is smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experiences and invites them to apply for your job. Now, as the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. Get this, Joe. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. You cannot beat that. And right now, voice wrestling listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. This exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. That's once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We thank them very much for sponsoring this edition of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. All right, Joe, we got a shit ton to get to here. Where the hell do we start with all these topics? It, it's just, it's maddening. Like, the g opening night happened and you were there live and that feels like a month ago and it feels like it's like the fourth most important thing for some reason. I, it's just, this, this week is, is maddening. I think we got to open the G1. All right, so have- you were there live, man. I, I I did my thoughts here on Patreon now, patreon.com slash Voices Wrestling, uh, of course. Uh, you were there live though. What was the the initial kind of big picture before we kind of break down the show uh, and talk about uh, a little bit about the attendance? I think it's important for us to talk about the attendance. But yeah, what was your experience like? You know, where'd you sit? What what'd you do? What'd you eat? Let's let's hear it.
0: Well, I mean, the first thing the first thing I noticed was uh, the crowd was super hot, and my concern was because. It was the big cavernous building with 5,000 people in a 20,000 seat building that maybe that wasn't coming across on TV, but I sent out a tweet and it was very obvious that that was not the case, that it was one definitely coming across on TV because people said it came off like a super hot crowd. So that's good. Um, it really was an amazing crowd from you know opening match to main event, uh, despite the fact that Again, I think the total attendance was what, forty eight thirty six or something. Yeah,
1: four like that. four eight four six was the uh, was the official attendance for the show. So
0: Yeah. So now here's the thing. So you gotta remember you can't what we always say, if you're gonna put five thousand people in a twenty thousand seat stadium, I cannot give you credit. That's that's a bad look. Now if this was a five thousand seat building and you got forty eight hundred people in it, I will pat you on the back and credit you for your sellout. But this was horrible optics, especially since with the Japanese mentality of not moving people around, they didn't give a fuck that there were large patches of visible arena on this broadcast with nobody sitting in them. I mean, they just they, they never care about that. If you watch Japanese wrestling, you've seen over the years, um, you know, empty buildings uh, like this, and they just they don't. It's not like American wrestling, which has been so built around television And making sure it looks good on TV, that they'll herd everybody to one side of the building like Impact used to do, like SmackDown does today. They don't do that in Japan. They don't care. It's just it is what it is. And, you know, they'd like to sell more tickets. But if they don't, the the chips just fall and they just, you know, because I was there and they were making zero effort to move anybody anywhere. I mean, you'd have sections up top where there were three people sitting in them. And, you know, they could have curtained those off and moved everybody down. They made no effort to do
1: so. Yeah, I saw somebody posted on Twitter. They were, like, the only guy in their section. <laughs> they're just, like, you know, their arms are just yeah. stretched out. And that's fun. Like, I would probably go to that section. If they're not going to move me out of there, I'd be that guy just sitting by myself in the in the section all to myself. That'd be awesome. But
0: So the optics are horrible, and they didn't even sell 5,000 tickets. The thing about it, though, that people have to understand is when they put these tickets on sale, the setup was for 4,000 tickets. Okay? So, what does that tell you? That tells you that they were prepared to at least break even on 4,000 tickets. Otherwise, they would have set it up for more than. You're not going to set up the arena to lose money. Right. Okay. So, you know, and then they opened up a couple of uh, mid level sections about a month or a month and a half ago. Rocky Romero fired out a tweet and they sent out a tweet on their uh, official, I think, English Twitter page that more uh, sections were opened up. And, uh, so they did open up some seats and they ended up, you know, putting 4,800 people in the building and I got this secondhand, but through someone who talked to someone in the company, the exact quote was, we made a little bit of money is what they said. End quote. So this show wasn't any kind of raging success from a financial standpoint. They barely broke even, they barely made a profit, um, I'm sure on merch they killed it because, Rich, that merch line – and I put out one picture on Twitter, but it didn't do it any justice because I couldn't even fit everybody in the frame. The merch line – and it never stopped. From pre-show until they stopped selling shit after the show, the merch lines were ridiculous. So they learned their early lessons from Long Beach. Remember, they weren't bringing enough T-shirts. They learned that lesson. Plenty of merch. Lines were ridiculous. There were people who just weren't even watching the show; they were busy standing on the merch line, which I will never understand. Order a fucking t-shirt online. I mean, sit down and watch the show. What are these people doing?
1: Well, some uh, of them, uh, for for, to 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 defend some of these people, I'm not going to be one of those guys. I'm going to watch the wrestling show. I don't really care. But for some of those people, they are like exclusive shirts. Like I know when when All In was there, uh, and sometimes when New Japan has been running in Chicago, they will run specific like I, I know they had there was an Lij shirt that was in like the chicago flag design or whatever or it had the chicago flag colors and like they said when we're we're out of these ones that we brought here we're done like you're not gonna be able to buy these anywhere and that's it so i get it that people wanted to buy that particular shirt and i heard that there were a lot of the ones that they were selling at this show were Texas themed new Japan shows that there are shirts that you're not going to ever get. They're not going to pop up online. They're just selling them for the purposes of this show. Maybe new Japan should sell them online because they probably sell a lot more, but I get that they maybe want to create that demand or whatever. And it's a special thing for people to do, but you can, I, I wouldn't be caught dead standing in an hour line to buy a shirt. So I'm not yeah. the person, but there are people obviously.
0: All right, I'll concede that it's not my thing, and I just don't get it. But if that's the case, and these are like specialty shirts you can only get at these events, it makes a little more sense to me. But uh, I don't know. I'm not paying for, you know, what was the average ticket to this thing? A hundred bucks? I don't even know because you know, you know, Rich, we're very important people. But what was an average ticket to this thing? Like a hundred bucks or something?
1: I would know. We're very important people.
0: (laughs) So I mean, you know, if you even tickets, are you kidding? Come on. Even if you spent eighty dollars or sixty dollars or something, I mean, and then you stand on a merch line. But again, it's not my bag. Some people enjoy this. I'm not going to judge. All right. If you're getting a specialty shirt, it makes more sense. If you're just buying the LIJ shirt that you can order on the fucking website, it doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, the merch lines were ridiculous. Uh, the, 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 the crowd was hot as fuck. I'm glad it came across on TV. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I did watch some of it back, not all of it. And it looked horrible. Certain oh angles. my
1: God! Yeah, so I, I mentioned on the Patreon, and, and and you'll definitely get this reference. I don't know if everybody got this reference, but uh, there were those WCCW shows, World Class shows, that they would run in Texas stadiums sometimes, like the Night of Champions or the Prada, uh, the Prada Champions, Academy. Sorry, and they would run in Texas Stadium, and they would legit get like twenty six thousand people, which is awesome. Like they, this, this, you know, they, they would they would get huge crowds, but they would run Texas Stadium, which seats like sixty eight thousand. So you'd have the ringside area and everybody around the ring. Like completely full, but then they do these pan shots, and like half the football stadium is empty, all the upper deck is empty, and it's like, yeah, you got 26,000 people, and that's awesome, but like, it's in a 68,000 seat arena, or football stadium, so it looked like absolute shit, and it was like, well, man, it looks like no one's there, when there was in actuality almost 30,000 people there, so that's what I thought of this show, it's like, they did a decent crowd, like, this is a good crowd, when we talk about New Japan in America, this is a good crowd, it's not as good as some of the other ones, but it's not bad, it's not horrendous, and as you said, they sold to the numbers that they had. They sold towards, and we should mention American Airlines Center. If you're not aware, is is essentially owned by Mark Cuban, who yeah. owns the Dallas Mavericks, who play there, and who of course owns Access TV. So you right. can put two and two together and assume that they probably didn't get screwed on the arena deal. They probably got a good deal on the arena, which would, which would allow them to make money on 4,000 tickets sold. Or 5, there
0: was 000. a there no. was a lot of speculation that it was a sold show, but turns out that that wasn't true it wasn't a sold show but yeah do i think that they probably got a brother discount from mark cuban i'm sure yeah i'm sure too because what's he doing with that arena right
1: it, it, things year? not doing anything at, around the year other than maybe like you know concerts on the weekends or whatever but if there's right. nothing going on that weekend yeah it's sitting there dormant so yeah i'll take i'll take parking you know money and merch money yeah. and 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 you know concessions and then <laughs> maybe the whatever amount you pay me it's fine because i own the other network too so I, I you know i own a lot of things involved in that so yeah that, that's that's a part of it. But yeah, like I said, it, it likened me a lot to the, or it reminded me a lot of those WCCW shows where they would do good crowds and you would know that they, it was like a success, but it was like, man, why'd you do it in such a huge stadium? It looked like shit. Yeah. The op- and this was too, like right down to the entranceway, like right when the guys came out, all you saw was just a sea of seats. There was one point, uh, I don't know if you got to that point too, where they show uh, Shibata watching uh, the Kenta. Okay. Match.
0: So let me tell you about that.
1: So okay. he's in like a little side area i
0: think yeah here's where he was i can tell you right where he was okay he was he was to the right of the of the entrance ramp and the problem was there were a couple shots too when people were up on the turnbuckle on that side of the ring those seats behind the entrance ramp were never for sale to begin with those are never for sale for any company the difference was like raw will curtain that off
1: right yeah if you go to any raw half the arena is not sold because the entranceway and all that sort well, of stuff. Quarter but, of it, yeah. It's like a that, big, yeah, yeah. Maybe not a half. You know, I've, I've been in some arenas where it's half, but yeah, it's, it's at least yeah. a quarter, and it's just curtained off. You never see it.
0: So if they would, I don't know why they didn't at least curtain that off. I okay, look, if you're not going to curtain off the sections that didn't sell, whatever. But I don't know how they didn't have that curtained off. It looked terrible. Like when you said when they showed Shibata, there was one shot of Tanahashi up on the turnbuckle, and it's just all of those empty seats behind the stage, and it's like that at least should have been curtained off at minimum. That made no sense to me, especially if you were planning on doing this gimmick with Shibata, where you were going to show him on camera, stand in there, or at least have him go stand where there's some fans, right? Stand, I mean, stand
1: somewhere, stand by a stand in front of a wall or stand next to some fans, turn your body towards the fan, do anything, but stand in front of a sea of empty seats.
0: Yeah. So again, you can't call this any kind of rousing success. Uh, they, they barely broke even. Uh, from their mouths, they made quote a little bit of money, but on the flip side, you know, outside of the six thousand people they put in the Cow Palace, have they topped this in America? I, off the top of my head, I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I did a little bit of research on it. Let me find out. I think the. First, I want to say the first Walter Pyramid show did. But let, let me, let me, I, I did it on the Patreon, but let me do it for the purposes of this show too. So we yeah, can and then I'll be, make be it, official I'll, about I'll, it. Yeah.
0: While you're looking it up, I'll make my other point. My other point is you also have to remember that, you know, 4,800 fans, and we were talking about this in the uh, Voices of Wrestling Slack, is probably going to end up being the, you know, fifth, sixth, or seventh highest attended G1 show total this year. You got the three Budokan Hall shows, you got Osaka will beat it. You have Sapporo that will beat it, so that's three, that's four, that's five. Um, the the Aichi show is going to be close. It's going to be in the same neighborhood, so let's say it will. That's six. So, like, at worst, this 4,800 is going to be the seventh highest attended G1 show of the tour, too. So, you know, you want to consider that. You want to consider that maybe one or two U.S. shows have beat this. Did you come up with the data yet? I did, no? yeah.
1: So, so the first show that they did, uh, The Strong Style Evolved, Walter Pyramid, uh, was 4,372, so this beat that one. Uh, the second one, the G1 special in San Francisco at the Cow Palace, which is actually a very good comp because it was almost the exact same weekend, uh, yeah. July 7, 2018. That one did 6,333. So that one yeah. was a, a pretty big jump up. Uh, and then the next time, back to the Walter Pyramid.
0: Cody versus Kenny was the
1: main Exactly, one. right. And then back to the Walter Pyramid uh, for Fighting Spirit Unleashed. And these are just – these aren't like ROH slash New Japan. This is just New right, right, Japan right. proper Major shows. New Japan shows, yeah. Right. And the back to the Walter Pyramid in September 2018, that one had 3,007. So the, so the, the Walter Pyramid – so Yeah, exactly. It beat The only thing it didn't beat is the G1 Supercard or the G1 Special, it, I should say.
0: It didn't beat Cody Kenny, which – and that was the – and remember, that's Cody Kenny too because Ring of Honor did it first in New Orleans, which – you know, we made a big deal out of it at the time because it's like, you know, people were calling that 6,300 a failure. And I'm like, are you out of your minds? That's a repeat match. And they drew almost 6,500 fans. That was an incredible success. So this is the number two New Japan show proper in America. But again, Rich, you're running a basketball. But the thing about it is they don't seem to care. I don't know anything. And please don't put this on Reddit as some kind of scoop because I hate when you people do that. This is just me speculating. I think they're coming back to Dallas next year for the G1 show again, because I don't know if it aired on TV. You would know better than me, but you know, did they show Okada's post-match speech?
1: Um, I think they did. I didn't watch because I had to record the the, the Patreon show, so I didn't listen to the entire okay. speech. So.
0: So whether they did or not, he, he you know, he did the rah rah thing. Did you guys enjoy seeing G one? I did see um, that.
1: I did see up into that. But then he kept talking and talking. And I was like, all right, I gotta record this thing. So he said,
0: Do you want us to come back to America for G one? Yay, everybody cheer. Okay, then we're gonna do it. Yay. So they they plan on doing it again. That's one clue. Number two, um, they did make a little bit of money. Uh, you know, number three, I think to them, it's sort of a even though it was only forty eight hundred people. I think to them it's a badge of honor that they ran a building like this. I think to them it's a bragging point to the fans in Japan. Um, To them, I think it's it's sort of a symbol of growth that they're able to run a basketball arena. Now, it's silly because you're not even coming close to filling the thing. But I think they get off on the idea of saying, we are running G1 shows in America in a major basketball arena. I think they enjoy saying that. And because they didn't take a bath, and because, you know, they made a little bit of money, and based on that Okada post match speech, I would not be stunned at all if they come back. And they do it again in Dallas because, you know, Cuban probably is giving them a deal. Because I'm thinking to myself, how can you make money on putting four? But then when you think about it, they set it up for 4,000 fans. So it must They. I don't think they're lying. Because why would you set it up for 4,000 fans if you knew that was going to be a loss? That would just be dumb. So, um, You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, they shouldn't run Dallas again. I don't necessarily disagree, but I think they're going to run Dallas again. I think this is going to be the the, G1 kickoff show again next year. That's what my gut's telling me. But but I guess we'll see about that. Maybe maybe they'll expand and do one in Dallas and then do the other block in, in California
1: somewhere right cuz th- these are i mean th- the problem is like and, and i'm a big like i'm big on like arena optics and and that sort of stuff and it looked like crap from oh, an optics wow. standpoint it looked like shit right but from a business standpoint if they made money and they got their second highest house that they've ever had in 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 you know america it's, it's a useful thing for them. You know what I mean? Like this is, this I'm sure is a positive to them. We think of, you know, my, you know, American pro wrestling is a lot about optics and, 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 Japanese pro wrestling when they come to America should be as well. And, and I think it's an important thing to, to do for us because it, it, it makes you appear, Less than you are. You, you know what I mean? Like I and and that's I don't want that perception yeah, for New Japan. Yeah. Cause I think when they come to the, this was a successful show. You heard that they made a little bit of money. It felt you know, from their standpoint, if they think that they're coming back and all this sort of stuff, and Okada's making that grand proclamation, that means they're probably thinking about coming back. You don't say, Hey, we're gonna come back and then say, Ah, oh, no, 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 we're not, not coming back. So they probably are. So they obviously thought it was a good thing for them, but like I just think that they need to be a little bit more aware of that, that people pass around pictures, that that it's obvious on video, that it kind of just gives you this feeling of oh, this doesn't feel like a very hot product. When in actuality, it's, you know, the second biggest house they've done in America. And it's actually a nice recovery from where they had earlier in the year when there was kind of a disaster in terms of New Japan running in America. This was n- completely successful. Nobody had visa issues. Nobody couldn't arrive. The cards were awesome. The show was great, which we're going to talk about in a bit. It, like, this is a huge success, but it was just like people and and, and and rightfully or wrongfully so look at the arena and go, geez, this arena was empty. When in actuality, I mean, this is a, a pretty good thing for them. Like, they, they were successful.
0: I, I hesitate to call it a huge success. I'd call it a minor success, and, but the thing is, I don't think they care about those optics. That's the thing, and I don't right, think right. they understand that that they don't understand that that matters a lot here, because again, wrestling has always been built around television here, and it's important to look good on TV, and they just don't have that mindset because it's not like that in Japan. That's not how it's done in Japan, and it's it's wrestling, especially since the '90s, it's a TV show. And you're not going to have the prices right with half the seats empty. They're going to fill those seats or they're not going to film the show. And it's the same thing with wrestling. They're going to make sure the seats that you see are filled because it's a television show. And that's why all the American fans are so disgusted by the optics of this because we've all been taught that you shouldn't see empty seats. And you do what you have to do to fill those empty seats. And... I'm looking around before the show, and I'm like, they are making no effort <laughs> to fill these seats. And I'm, 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 I'm standing there with Damon McDonald from uh, the Super J-Cast, and we're trying to figure out where like the hard cam is. And then at one point, I'm saying to him, it doesn't matter because they're not moving anyone anyway. So I don't know where it is, and it doesn't matter where it is. you know. So they just don't seem to give a shit, which was a little weird. I still think that little New Beginning tour hurt this show. I will stand by that. I've been saying that um, because I, I do think that hurt consumer confidence. And there was – look, you're going to sell your, that big, big, your biggest chunk of tickets in those first you know, 48 hours to a week when people are excited about the announcement. And people were gun-shy because they got burned last time by the visas. Right. And they did not trust – that this was going to be a full-on, 100% all-out, big-time G1 opening night show, which hardcore fans like us and the people listening knew, and they drew those people. Rich, half of our staff was there. You know, the hardcore fan who understood bought the ticket because they knew what they were going to get, but the casual fan or the not-so-hardcore fan, someone who doesn't listen to podcasts and isn't a giant dork like we are, they didn't trust this because they got burnt on the previous one. So I thought I think there was some consumer mistrust. I do, and I think that this show delivering the way it did and the quality of card that there was, um, you know, I think that will help when they come back. Now the Super J Cup they're running theaters doesn't matter; they sold out instantly.
1: Oh yeah, most of those I think every most are sold out, and the ones that aren't are just a few tickets left to go. So, the two yeah, those, first those nights, in
0: the, yeah, the first two nights are in like three hundred seaters, and those sold out instantly. They're going to sell out shows like that instantly every time. And then the final night is almost sold out. I mean, it, it, it's going to be a good crowd whether they sell every ticket or not. And then I guess we should talk about they announced they're coming to the East Coast in September. Pretty quick turnaround. Uh, but the big news is where they're coming on the East Coast. Hammerstein Ballroom, New York City. ECW Arena, Philadelphia. And was it Lowell, Massachusetts? Yeah,
1: the the, uh, the Lowell Autorium, uh, in in Boston, Mass. Yeah.
0: And the big thing there... Mid-sized venues that they, they can sell out pretty easily, number one. And number two, all three of those are ROH buildings. And that is just a kick in the dick to their United States promotional partner to go into their backyard and run three of their tentpole flagship buildings without any involvement from Ring of Honor whatsoever. Right,
1: that's the important it, part. No mention of Ring of Honor whatsoever. And if people are saying, oh, well, maybe you know, Ring of Honor is going to be in Las Vegas, I think at that time, so they're not going to be there.
0: No, Ring of Honor. These are New Japan proper shows. Right. These aren't of World gimmicks. And that is just, they are now unequivocally direct head-to-head competition. They are. Because Ring of Honor is running Hammerstein in a couple weeks and they've sold almost nothing. It's going to be embarrassing. You know, they've sold like 400 tickets to a building they used to sell out without announcing anything. And New Japan's going to come there in September. So, what do you think that's doing for people who maybe can't afford two tickets that close together? Well, fuck, I'm going to wait for New Japan. You know, and they're running Ring of Honor. they're not even just running Ring of Honor cities, Rich. They're running their fucking buildings.
1: Right. That, they're, they're running meccas. I mean, that, that you know obviously, <laughs> ECW Arena, Hammerstein, and yeah, that, that little auditorium. I mean, those are, are, are big hitters, especially uh, Hammerstein and, and, and the ECW Arena. Um, those really stand out as like, yeah, we don't give a shit. I mean, that's right in their backyard, and they're just going there <laughs> and, yeah. and, and running. Yeah, it, it's
0: Ring of Honor in New Japan running MSG during WrestleMania weekend. It's the same thing. It's, it's MSG. Yeah, it's WWE historical. But these are Ring of Honor buildings and have been for a decade. And, um, you know, that tells me that everything we heard about New Japan just biding their time, hearing out AEW, we know about that meeting that, you know, took place in January between AEW and New Japan. And New Japan politely declined whatever AEW offered, told them to hit the bricks. And all of the speculation at the time, all the whispers were because they don't want to fuck up MSG. They want to. Run MSG. Their guys want to work MSG. They want to. They want to work to sell out MSG. They want the Kazuchika Okada at the end of MSG standing there with his arms out with that fucking title. They want that moment. They want that fucking picture. They want you know get through MSG, and then let's see what happens. And we've got through MSG, and now they're running G1 shows in fucking America, and they're coming to three of ROH's buildings. Rich. I don't think this relationship is long in tooth. Ah, um, uh, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, this is – it's not good. Yeah, and if this doesn't show you, I mean, th- this more than anything. And 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 for Ring of Honor, too, if I'm not Ring of Honor if, – if, if I'm Ring of Honor and I'm not standing up a little bit to this, I know that they've had this partnership and yada, yada, yada. You're not getting good New Japan talent coming over anymore. You're getting kind of the third rung of guys. And, and a lot of people, as we know, and report on this Patreon, guys that aren't even that eager or don't want to work there ever again or whatnot – so you're not getting the New Japan talent. And,
0: and let me tell you something. Juice Robinson could do all the damage control he wants with Dave Meltzer. Okay? they Those those New Japan wrestlers are not
1: happy about working on Right. Okay? Because they'd be there. And he's not been there. So, I mean, that's... And it's just know. trust
0: the people we talk to. I mean, it, it's, right. it's... You know, th- it, that came out and it was all over the place. And, you know, he probably didn't want heat. You know, and they got to go tell Dave one thing to kind of do a little... Th- I get it. I understand how that works. But trust me. These guys, they're not thrilled about working Ring of Honor. So that's another component of it, too, that I'm glad you brought up.
1: Yeah, and there's that. So you're not even getting the peak New Japan talent anymore. They're running in your backyard without you. And if I'm Ring of Honor, and, and we talked about for years, they needed New Japan. And they, and they still maybe do. But at a certain point if you're ring of honor don't you finally have to just say all right guys what the fuck's going on here but they probably won't because this is what ring of honor is these days and they're hoping that whenever they do get a new japan talent they could sell a few little tickets here and there but, but we're starting to see more and more the new japan is is maybe not are they going to call and break up or are they just going to slowly just not go anymore <laughs> like what, what like what is what is that going to be that breakup between the two because it's going to happen and is it going to be a vicious one or is it just going to be where they kind of just do their own thing and it's just kind of like you understand oh we're different. We've moved, we've moved apart from one another. Like, What, what type of breakup is this going to be?
0: I think New Japan sees the lay of the land and they know that AEW wants to work with them. They know that AEW has kept things friendly by allowing Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega the option to work with them. And they know that AEW is a better partner for them. And I, I right. really believe they just wanted to get through MSG. And and then um, reassess where everything is. And if they're smart, they'll let AEW breathe a little, you know. And th- that's what they'll do if they're smart. So I don't think this will be sort of an immediate thing. I don't think they'll call and break up, like you said. Because what if AEW goes on t- TNT and just fucking does three hundred fifty thousand viewers and out of the gate, and it's just very obvious that's gonna bomb. Right. Then you know you you don't want to burn your ROH bridge necessarily uh, because all those guys are going to be back in ROH, so so it's like you know it's the elite's going to go back there. So um, you know you you want to see how the AEW thing plays out, but so far it looks sustainable. But we all know the TV is is what's going to make or break AEW Uh, because they're not just they're not going to operate as a once a month, you know. Pay per view entity or whatever with no, right. it, it's Turner drops them, it's over. So, you know, you let it play out. I think I don't think you just drop new uh, Ring of Honor, you know. But at the same time, if you're running all these shows in America, then what? purpose is ring of honor serving exactly
1: there, there's no more i mean now that they, they've kind of bridged that gap and said hey you know because f- it was all about familiarizing yourself with the american audiences and and, and making them aware but of we you said
0: this four years ago exactly
1: this is the same episode we had four years ago is that the second that they felt okay american fans as many american fans as are gonna know about us know about us yeah we don't need you guys anymore and bye. here's
0: the buildings that we need to run they learn the lay of the right. land and now they're fucking doing it. They got their little deal with fucking Cuban, running that for pennies on the dollar, and they know what the good buildings are that Ring of Honor was running, where the where the fans are going to come out. And now they've stolen those buildings. So it's like, we knew this three, four years ago that this is what they were doing. You could smell it coming a mile away.
1: Well, unless you're a lizard man, and I guess you couldn't, but... Or uh, you're a Joe off. Yeah, this it, is... Ring of Honor, man. We'll we'll have some larger discussion about Ring of Honor in the next few weeks uh, because it's,
0: about, yeah, it's... It's, you know, not good. I mean, look no. at Milwaukee. <laughs> Milwaukee. used to be a stronghold. I don't think they've sold 100 tickets. No,
1: dude. Chicago. I, I saw the seat map for the show they have coming up in Chicago, and that is a, a bloodbath. There's... I, I think maybe part of the first four rows are gone, and that's it.
0: It's Baltimore and Toronto at this point, And th- those cities are down. But they're just not as down as the others, and they're going to burn out Baltimore because they're moving shows to Baltimore that aren't doing well. So Baltimore is going to get burnt out.
1: Yeah, this is so it's <laughs> not good. We have some. Uh, well, hopefully, have a um, uh, John Carroll host of uh, Wrestling uh They're going to write a piece about Ring of Honor uh, attendance. I don't know if it's going to be finalized or whatnot. We got some help from uh, from Lavi Alavi. Uh, I forget how to pronounce it. I apologize if I pronounce it wrong. Uh, great follow on on Twitter, and, and and he has a ton of great data about Ring of Honor Attendance has been following it forever. So hopefully I'll have a piece up because, yeah, there's two... You said the Hammerstein show was a big eye-opener because it's like, oh, crap. like That's Hammerstein Ballroom, and it's like the whole top deck. I think they even stopped selling tickets at the top deck uh, of it, and that's just... Uh, you know,
0: I, I don't even i just think they can't sell any tickets for the top
1: deck. well that's what i mean like i don't think they were selling any so they're yeah. like ah you know what ah, who cares about the top deck Ah, no, like like they're not even offering those tickets anymore because they're probably just not selling them which is 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 dramatic because you know you and i talked about this at the beginning of the year of, of where ring of honor attendance is going to go and i think you and i thought that to be you know we thought that there was going to crater but we maybe thought it was a little bit more of a slow burn but it has just fucking went into a uh, again, we'll talk about it when we have a little bit more time when there's not a thousand things going on, but this is this summer and this fall is going to be an absolute disaster for Ring of Honor if, if numbers don't all of a sudden explode off the board, but why would they? I mean, there's, they're not giving anybody anything that's going to make it worthwhile to, to purchase tickets anyway. So and, and
0: And here's the thing, New Japan's not going to give them Big matches anymore because they need them for themselves. In no,
1: yeah, exactly. We said that yeah, at the beginning of the year, too. When, when, it, yep. when New Japan had their aggressive schedule, that was basically telling you, yeah, you're not going to get anything <laughs> America. And, they, and they, they were only barely giving stuff for America yeah, here and there, but now half, it's nothing. You're going to get
0: half effort LIJ matches, which is what they've been getting. They get wrestlers who don't want to be here going through the motions. It's Lavi Margolin, and everyone should be following Lavi Margolin because he does great attendance stuff. It's at uh, Lavi, M-A-R-G, is his Twitter handle.
1: Oh, cool. Thank you for for doing that. I forget the last name.
0: Yeah, I mean he kind of fills that space because you know with Chris Harrington working for a wrestling company, he doesn't do much in that direction anymore. And you've still got your Brandon Thurston's out there and your Evan Deadly Sins who does a good job with New Japan and some of the Japanese promotions. And Lavi is just a guy who kills it. With uh, you know, mostly North American based attendance stuff and keeping up with the charts and all that. It's a must follow. If you're into this business stuff that we talk about, he's a must follow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's got an ROH data going back to like 2002 or something, like the initial yeah. stuff. I don't know. It's probably not full, complete or whatever, but a pretty good amount. So I was looking at it a little bit earlier as uh, so we were, we're getting, getting about, ready. For-
0: we got to talk about this show, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you did the review on the paywall. So everyone knows your thoughts. You did the first one. We got a couple coming up this weekend. Well, not everybody,
1: because there's still some people, Joe. I know how last week you said, hey, there are people listening to this that aren't subscribers.
0: Maniacs. And know about you,
1: but I haven't quit my job yet, so.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's patreon.com slash voice wrestling daily G1 audio, which really kicks into full swing starting this weekend with the B block opener. And then away we go, basically, uh, almost just about every other day. I think there's only a one point where they take three days off in a row and otherwise pretty consistent uh so you'll have those uh shows that's the five dollar tier rich did night one that is already up behind the paywall if you want to hear his extended thoughts but uh how about you just walk me through this one and we'll we'll go through match by match and i think i differ slightly with you on a couple of these but let's see
1: oh good all right so we'll start with gorillas of destiny uh defeating Rapungi 3k in our opener
0: Yeah, this was not a typical G1 sort of undercard match because it was just like it was their, you know, like the two, arguably the two ace teams of each tag division going against each other, which was pretty interesting. And I thought they had, you know, a high energy match where obviously the winner was not in question. The heavyweight team is going to win, especially if it's a pushed heavyweight team versus a junior team. But uh, yeah, the crowd was super into this. And I think, uh, you know, it was a nice little six to
1: seven minute opener. Yeah, what I really liked is that you 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 had Rapongi sort of get their hope. Like, there was a little bit where it was like, oh, man, they might win this. And then Tamatonga just does one gun stun and pins him. And it's just like, yeah, that's it. Never mind. <laughs> like, that's not it. do you
0: think of this comp, I saw this and I thought it – I never thought of it, but I thought it was pretty smart. Missy Hyatt compared Rapongi 3K to the Fantastics. Mm. What do you think of up? Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah, they're kind of like – they're heartthrobby. They're – they're spunky. They do some. Yeah, I like that. I like it a lot. It's not a bad comp. Yeah, Missy. Comp Missy's bad. awesome. She's. <laughs> I love how big of a wrestling nerd she is. It's great. Yeah, she's a great follow too on Twitter. Yeah, it's not all good. but yeah, Most of it is pretty solid. There's yeah. There's some stuff that doesn't land, but uh, when she's watching a wrestling show, she's got some pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good insights there. But uh, anyway, we'll move on. to uh, Jeff Cobb and Ren Narita versus Shota Umino. And Tomohiro Ishii, Joe, I fucking love this match. I hope you did in the arena too.
0: So, the Cobb Ishii stuff at the end, the big pull apart and their interactions during the match. I already heard you, Brad, you know, go just gush about it, how great it was. And I thought it was great too. Did you see that little news bit that came out today that the pull apart after the match? was impromptu and it was Ishii's idea and he was just going off the feel of the crowd and how they... Uh, and, Fucking
1: legend. There you how, go.
0: How much they were... He he felt how much the crowd was into his interactions with Cobb and he called that spot on the fly. How about that?
1: Yeah. The A, wrestling genius. Thank you, Tomohiro Ishii. And B, thank you New Japan for not cutting away or having a bunch of officials come in and stop it because it fucking rocks. You got Jeff Cobb with a little bit of blood down his nose. The hair is disheveled. Tomaru Ishii told him, come on, motherfucker, come on. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was great. I did not know that it was impromptu. That is incredible.
0: That just broke today. And it's funny because people are going to get mad that I'm doing this and I'm not trying to do this promotion. versus. But just a couple of weeks ago, we had Chad Gable attempt to create an organic moment in, in in the match against Jack Gallagher where there was an opportunity to do something special and because how restrictive that fucking company is, it wasn't able to happen and he was beaten down by it. We haven't seen him since, by the way. Guy hasn't been on TV
1: since. <laughs> he's, he's training which, with Buddy Murphy, I guess. So.
0: Which is why he was trying to make a moment, more than likely. He's got a big opportunity. And because of the way that company's run, oh, we can't have that, can't go off script. And then in this company, this fucking mid Carter is feeling it Calls a post-match angle. Like, this wasn't just calling a spot in a match. Rich, he called a post-match angle spot, and they just let him run with it, and they trusted his instincts, and they let. And it, and how great did it work out? That was one of the things that ev- people. This was a G1 show with five G1 matches. Four of them were arguably great. And after the show, I'm talking to people in the in, in the hallway, running into people I know, and everybody's talking about Jeff Cobb and Tony. Yeah, me. it
1: was my one of my favorite things that I easily of the undercard my favorite thing and honestly other than you know two of the g1 matches we'll talk about in a bit yeah maybe my my third favorite thing on this entire show yeah so it's tremendous oh great stuff there if you haven't checked that out definitely watch that uh then we had uh rookie goto and Yoshihashi defeating uh chase owens and jay white this was uh interesting
0: so from a live perspective and i tweeted this too Yoshihashi comes off even more average live.
1: (laughs) Such a fucking dork. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) You have this – you watch the first two matches and all these great wrestlers, right? And then you get to this and, you know, Kuroki Goto's in there and Chase Owens is a good little wrestler. And Yoshihashi, live, it just jumps at you how average he is and how behind the rest of the roster he is. He just does nothing with any oomph. There's no, like, crispness or pop to anything he does. He's one of these guys who takes bumps and the ring doesn't make a sound. He just sucks. Like, he's just so middling and nothing. And it just jumps at you when he's 20 feet from you. How middling and average and nothing that this man is. And again, I watched his show with Damon McDonald, and he had the best comparison. It makes no sense what he said.
1: <laughs> I was laughing about this for like an hour after. It said.
0: makes no sense, but it totally makes sense. He turned to me and he goes, Joe, Yoshihashi is such a bag of socks. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? And then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? He is a bag of socks. That's exactly what he is. He's a fucking bag of socks. So that was my big takeaway from this match.
1: Yeah, he stinks. He's a dork. But uh, yeah, this it was it was not much. Unfortunately, unfortunately most of the match was Chase Owens and Yoshiaki. Uh Goto came in and did a few cool moves uh, and obviously got the pin and then Chase Owens um did I said like did a lot of the work and Jay White basically? I don't remember if Jay White even tagged it. did Jay White do anything in this match? I remember. Jay
0: White it. took a nice vacation. To- <laughs>
1: did he do anything? I don't remember entering the he ring did, at any J- point.
0: Jay White enjoyed his time in the Lone Star State. <laughs> right. That's what Jay White. He ate had. a lot
1: of ribs, I'm sure. Enjoyed his. Uh, Jay White his-
0: had his Whataburger and his fucking <laughs> and his barbecue, and he hung out with his friends, and he had a. Good old time in Texas. Yeah,
1: that was a Maccabay legendary esque performance there. I'll move on now. Just Robinson, Liger, and Toro Yano versus the LIJ team Bushi, Shingo, and Naito.
0: Okay. How the fuck does Jushin Liger not score the fall in this match?
1: Dude, you're right.
0: Why do we need the Yano roll up when
1: <sighs> some people love it, man? I get it. I get why. But, no, no, yeah. no, no.
0: This isn't even about Yano. Not even about Yano. 99% of the people in that building are seeing Jushin Thunder Liger for the last time. Correct. They, they popped through the roof when he came out. His team is winning anyway. How is he not scoring the fall? Bushi is a nothing. Bushi doesn't matter at all. Bushi can leave tomorrow. No one would care. Okay. How is he not pinning Bushi to win this match if his side is going to win anyway and if Bushi's taking a fall anyway and if Yano's not pinning the guy he's facing on the next? They didn't even do that. Yano pinned Bushi, right? So it's like, why is Liger not scoring the fall in this match? There's no excuse for it. That was a huge mistake. Give people that moment. There's no reason not to. That really bothered me.
1: I'll move on to the G1 Climax matches now. You got Lance Archer in the opener for the A Block. I you of one.
0: Did you miss one there? I know there's not much to add about it, but I think we missed one. Uh,
1: no, there, that's it. That's all.
0: There's more than three, right? Or was that all four? That
1: was it. So I went uh, opener. Uh, G- uh, God, uh versus Roppongi, Kobunrita, Umino Ishi, Chaos Bull Club, and then Juice. Yeah, I think that's it.
0: Okay, all right. I guess we got them all.
1: Yeah, because we got five. We got five block matches, man. You got to get to them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Let's do it. Uh, oh yeah. So a block opener. Uh, Lance Archer defeating Will Ospreay. We told you all. Uh, it was kind of interesting. You saw the. Uh, I was watching the G1 odds as they were going for our pick Contest and you saw them kind of swing late. They didn't swing a ton. Uh, there was still a lot of people that thought Willow Spray was going to win, but I thought there was no doubt in my mind that Archer was going to come out there and win. Uh, he debuted his brand new look and he got in here and he got the big win. Uh, what did you think of this one? I know you really enjoyed it. I talked about how much I enjoyed it, but uh, how was the live experience?
0: Oh, that? it was awesome, and, and the crowd was just super into it. Um, Archer had a lot of fans there. Uh, Willow Spray, every match he has, just has a ton of energy and just rich the way they started the match i mean the the spanish fly before will even took his gear off coming right at the big man right and then uh and then he rolls him outside the ring and he does the fucking flippy do on the outside of, within the first 30 seconds you had two fucking incredible spots what a way to kick off the g1 and to keep everybody excited and then the other big spot of course was uh, archer putting will through the table a table that was sitting there for no good reason that nobody noticed was sitting there for no good reason for the whole show to that point. But then we found out why that table was there because, uh, you know, Will Ospreay was going to go through it. And then from there, look, these guys killed it in New Japan cup and they killed it here again. And, this was uh, the biggest match of Lance Archer's career. It's in his hometown on a G1 show, um, you know, and and he got the big win. And he was he had a, he debuted the new look, and you know he had a million people like hanging out in his house that weekend from Suzuki Gun to the fucking OEW guys to, you know, and this I know this was a big moment for him on a big show for him. He won it with his new finisher. What? Okay, let me ask you that. Cause uh, I heard your thoughts on the match. You love the match, like everybody else loved the match. They they repeated that awesome spot from the New Japan Cup, where Will did the flip over the fucking spear, and then uh, Archer came out of the corner to to, to give him the big counts into the opposite corner, uh, which was a great spot from New
1: Japan Cup, and they repeated that. So they the shot was- it perfect too in that one. Like we talk about production, they put the the camera right on the mat, so Will just looked like he went like fifteen feet in the air. It just looked. He may have went fifteen feet in the air in real life too. I think. <laughs> Knowing will. He probably did, but no. That awesome.
0: I'm so glad they repeated that spot because that was just... That spot blew my fucking mind in the New Japan Cup and I was hoping to see that spot live. But we all know the match was, was, was pretty great. What I want to know from you, because you didn't really get into this, was what did you think of the Iron Claw
1: finish? <sighs> I'm kind of in between on it right now. I think he can make it work. I think it will work maybe a little bit better in Japan than it works in America. I'm just going to need to see it a few more times. I, I'm a little di- – what I like, though, I th- he didn't finish him just with the Iron Claw. The, the fact that he went in with like a pinfall or he did like kind of a, a slam and then sort of a pinfall on it while yeah. doing – I think that helps. Like I don't want I don't want to see a guy tapped to the Iron Claw. Pin
0: pinned him with the claw.
1: Right. I don't mind that. That'll, that'll allow. That I will like. Yeah, I'm glad that he does that. I hope that he doesn't go submission style of it. I do think he needs to have some impact with it. Try to drive it in a little bit, and then do the pinfall with it, and then I will buy it a little bit more. Uh, this was it was a little weird this time, but I'm gonna give it a try for a little bit at least. I, I don't know that I love it right now, but I could learn to love it in a little bit. But you my... know,
0: I turned to the people I was with, and it's like I think it came off a little weird because no one's watching those undercard tags from the previous tour. Nobody knew that he was using this thing.
1: Right? Yeah, I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> but...
0: and, and that hurt it, but there's also the symbolism of using that in Dallas. And that oh,
1: wasn't... And that's, and that's honestly what I thought. To me, because since I had not watched those undercards, I thought he was just doing a Von Erich tribute act here. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're going to pin win him with the claws. So that's where I was because I didn't know about those undercards.
0: Yeah, and that wasn't lost on a decent portion of the crowd. You know, they, they did, you know, understand that that was kind of a Von Erich uh, nod too. But I like that he got the pin with it. It's just I don't think a lot of people were ready for the pin on that because he hasn't... They didn't and, – and again, you know how people complain – like, this is why New Japan pounds finishers into your head when a guy does a new finisher. Like, remember when Bad Luck Fale did the Bad Luck Fall, like, 19 straight nights on that one tour, like, five years ago? Yeah, right. And Which, they kept no, stretching <laughs>
1: out – this is my new finisher. Yeah, yeah, and
0: they kept stretching out Hanma every night. And it's like, this man would be dead already if there was fucking, you know, no K-fame. It's like – but that's why they do that. And they never established this with their fan, like he hadn't been using it long enough. So I don't think a lot of people were expecting that to be the end, but um, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm with you. I can go either way on it. It, it like any other finish. It's a matter of establishing it and getting it over. Cause you get anything over as a finish. Paul Heyman always used to say, you know, he, he always would say, look, if I ever, you know, had, you know, had a chance to book Mark Henry, right. He'd say, I would tell Mark Henry to just grab a side headlock and just wrench in that fucking side headlock. But I'd have my commentators put it over like he's going to rip the guy's head off because he's the world's strongest man. And I can get that side headlock over in two matches if Mark Henry's doing a side headlock. Point being, you can get anything over as a finish if, if you emphasize it and, and, and you treat it like death. So I just don't think the claw was over yet with a lot of the fans. I knew that was the finish immediately as soon as he did it. Because I had watched those dopey tags. And because he teased the claw earlier in the match, and Will wiggled out of it. So, But I I do think that's what kind of hurt the finish a little bit. But this was a tremendous match. These two guys have stupid chemistry. Why is their chemistry so good? Like It doesn't make sense. It's like when Archer used to work with Nakajima and Noah. Why would they have... They used to have a tremendous chemistry. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It was unbelievable.
1: (laughs) And it's It's like, he has the
0: same kind of chemistry with, with Will Ospreay, and you would never think that they would. So... I actually... This was, to me, the best match of the night.
1: I'll move on to Bedlick, Folly, and Evil. Um...
0: This was not the best match. <laughs> no, I was
1: going to say. Not a contender yeah, for best he, match. This stunk.
0: Every Folly match is going to be this. And, you know, he put the chair on Evil's head and hit him in the head with the other chair, and he pinned him. And I mean, what do you want? It's Folly. Evil did what he could. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunately... This was the straw that he drew on this show. And the one... Takeaway is we all know the match wasn't any good, but my one takeaway is with evil losing the Fale, I don't see a lot of wins for him moving forward. That this Falle is one of the guys you got to beat.
1: I know. Yeah, we so talked cool. about that in the preview. Wow. Is that like what everyone's kind of looking, and I'm looking at people putting their G1 pickums in, and I'm like, man, Fale is going to get more wins than people think, and that's why I think there are certain guys like a Will Ospreay that people are thinking, oh, he's going to get eight, he's going to get ten. Like, dude, if, if they're going to get bad luck. Like Fale wins. Like, I, I think he should lose everything. You know, I think he should have four points, but this isn't already a good sign that, that he's probably not going to be that, that he might still be in that running. So th- somebody's going to have to take losses in the A block. You know what I yeah, mean? Well, like who else yeah. is taking losses?
0: And the thing is, when a guy like Evil loses to Fale, he's got to face a bunch of guys now who are ranked ahead of him. Like if Fale upsets, I don't know, fucking Tanahashi, Tanahashi can still get his points elsewhere. Because sure. Tanahashi can beat literally anyone. Evil can't. So it's like when Evil loses to a guy like Fale – it really puts him behind the eight ball where it's like, I struggled to see where he's going to get a lot of points.
1: I'll move on to Sonata and Zach Sabre Jr. I really, really like this match. How did it uh, come across live?
0: It came across awesome live. They never lost the crowd at any point. And what really jumped, which is dangerous with this style of match, but these two guys, what really jumped out at me is, and this isn't always the case. Sonata's charisma shined through tremendously for this crowd. And as I said, that's not always the case, but it, it did here. And, uh, you know, these guys were just, uh, you know, the, obviously the counter wrestling and the grappling was outstanding. Um, this was a good example of a a, a, a mat based grappling-style match that held people's attention because it had a little bit of flair to it and there was some excitement to it and there was some storytelling to it. Right. Other than just two guys getting off on doing fucking, you know, grappling that they could be doing on a fucking mat somewhere in a fucking jiu-jitsu gym, you know, putting everybody to sleep. This had a little bit of flair to it, and it held people's attention. And and it, it was an excellent match. I mean, this was a no, easily a notebook match, and um, the crowd was very much into Sonata beating Zach in the end and, and kind of shutting him up. Zach was healing it up tremendously. This match was a ton of fun, and it had the full attention of the crowd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I thought it was fantastic for the reasons that you mentioned like w- when they're doing the grappling there's never feels like there's a point where n- where one of the guys isn't trying to get out of the move or counter a move. Y- you know what i mean like and that's that's what annoys me so much about some of these grapple match, where it's like a guy's just in the mat and he's just like ah and he's just kind of laying there and doing nothing i'm like no no man like like this match sonata if he's in a hold all he's looking to do is either get to the ropes or find a way to counter out of it zack saber jr is the same way and and the thing i'll add with zack saber jr too is he'll get you in a lock and it's not like he's completely happy with having you in that. So now he's going to try to say, all right, let me see if I can bend your arm. Okay, I got your arm. Let me see if I can get your leg now. Let me see. Like, that's the goal is to just hurt you even more, inflict even more damage and, and and ramp it up a little bit. And the other guy is just always trying to look, you know, A, to try to get out of it, get to the ropes or counter it in some way. And that's, that's what will engage me for, you know, 20 minutes of a grapple match is that everything feels like every move, every second is like guys trying to work through a move. Figure out some counter to the to the move or, or figure out some way to get out of it Where sometimes you see guys and they're just laying in the mat and and it's just kind of and the guys laying in the submission Too I think is equally important as well that that guy is constantly trying to even make it worse Grind it a little bit more grab another body part where some guys just you know are content being like hey I got you in this hammer lock all right. I got you in this for five minutes, and it's like all right like I don't I don't care anymore, so uh, that's that but no, I really enjoyed that. That was uh, a lot of fun there now we'll move on to the final two matches, and these are ones that we're going to have a lot of opinions about, maybe some differing opinions as well. Kenta defeats Kota Ibushi, the return of fucking Kenta, Joe. Uh, what was the live reaction? Were you jumping up and down? Were you screaming? How happy were you to finally see fucking Kenta ready to go in a New Japan ring? Now, listen,
0: I wasn't jumping up and down and screaming. screaming. <laughs> um, but it was a special moment to see him walk down to the ring and you can tell that he thought it was a special moment. Both coming to the ring, the match itself, and the post-match, which he was totally soaking up. Um, As far as the match goes, there are opinions all over the board on this thing. I've seen people say it's the match of the night. I've seen people say it was the worst match of the night. I've seen people say it was a terrible match. I've seen people say it was four and a half stars. So there really is a wide range of opinion, and I totally understand why. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. The physicality is unquestionably back. I don't know how it came across on TV, but he punished this man, Kota Ibushi. I mean, stiff is not the word. And again, I don't know how it came across on TV. But Kota Ibushi was, uh, you know, a, a, a willing masochist here to take that shit. And he sold his ass off. And this match firmly established that Kenta is going to kick your chest in and kick your head off. That part of his game is on point and is back. Here's what we don't know about Kenta. okay? That building was totally into this match. But they were not ready for the finish. They were expecting and wanting a hot New Japan closing stretch. And they did not get one. And that's why the finish came off a little flat. And I don't think this match was ever meant to be that. This match was structured in a way... I mean, Kenta took 80 to 90% of this match. The match story and the match structure here was to establish that Kenta could beat anyone. We knew he was going to win the match, and he won the match. But that the physicality of Kenta was back. And I think that's what he wanted to establish. What we don't know is whether he can do the big New Japan-style main event. We don't know that, because that's not what this was. We don't know if his agility and his quickness and, and those sorts of things and his stamina are there to go 25 minutes with Kazuchika Okada at the main event of King of Pro Wrestling and do an Okada-style match. We don't know if he can do that, because that wasn't shown here. What we do know is he will punish Kazuchika Okada for 25 minutes and kick his chest in, and be allowed to be that physical force that he was before he went to WWE? I enjoyed this match. I thought it was a good match, not a great match. It would have been a great match if, if one of two things, if two things occurred. Number one, one of the key there were two key spots in this match, and they blew both of them. The first one was Kota Ibushi doing the dive or the springboard move to the outside. I can't remember how he got out there, but he dove to the outside, and Kenta was supposed to give him a knee as he was coming down. Do you remember this spot? This is, I where, do. Yeah, yeah. This is where Bushi fucked up his ankle. They mistimed that, and Kenta, instead of, like, kneeing him in the chest or in the jaw as it was designed, I don't know what the fuck happened, and Abushi just, they kind of just tumbled into each other. So that looked like shit, and Abushi hurt his ankle. The second biggest spot of the match, of course, was to go to sleep. And Ibushi, for whatever reason, took it on his fucking bicep instead of his jaw or his head, or his cranium, and it looked terrible. Now it didn't look as bad as a WWE style go to sleep, where the guy lands on his feet and then eight seconds later, CM Punk throws the knee and hits him. In <laughs> right, head, right, right. And the guy takes a flat back bump, and it looks stupid and, and just dumb, and it's awful. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a WWE style go to sleep, which also which every one of them stunk. Okay. But it was bad because, like, they show, and then they show the replay, like, three times. Why are you showing the replay of such an awful finish? You should be disguising the fact that he'd need him in the arm and not in the fucking dome. Okay? I could show you a highlight reel of Kent to Go to Sleeps that looked like they're decapitating the opponent. And they're all safe, and he doesn't really decapitate them, but it looks like he decapitates them. That was not this. This just hit Bushy flush on the arm, and it looked weak. So the two key spots in the match, which were supposed to be dangerous-looking spots, they blew one of them, and the other one looked weak. And, you know, he pinned them, and people were again, kind of like the Archer match, they weren't really ready for that because they were waiting for the hot closing stretch, especially because Ibushi got his ass kicked the whole match. So if I had to star rate this, I'd go like three and three quarters. It was a good match. I enjoyed it, but I can't call it a great match.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of the same as you and I think one of the problems that 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 I ran into and, and it's one of these things where like a match that I think we both enjoyed <laughs> and we thought was good will come across as us being very negative on it or me my, you know I I and I admitted that as well that I was pretty negative on it from the standpoint of I expected re- I expected okay, here we go. Kenta's back. Kotobushi is is on another level and has had a great 2019 so far and it wasn't that. It was good. It was really good. But it wasn't great, and I came in expecting great. Anything less than great is going to disappoint me because of my own expectations. But I think one of the issues that I had with this match, more than anything, is it just felt like, to me, it was way too long. I think if they did everything that they did, they they don't have to change a thing about this match, but I think if they condensed it to to 14, 15 minutes and cut a little bit of the time in between, I think I would have liked it a lot more because it felt a lot like a big move would happen, and then there'd be a bunch of time waiting. And then a big move would happen, and then there'd be a bunch of time waiting. Or Kenta would do a huge kick, and then Kota would be on the ground writhing in pain, and Kenta would look at him, you know, angrily, and then hit him again another time. But it would like there'd be like a minute between those or whatever. It just felt like there was a lot where it was just kind of going on and going on and going on. And it's just like, I really would have thought that, that to me, I think it enhances greatly if they cut five minutes off this match, six minutes off this match, condense things a little bit more, have it a little bit. Because then I think you get the viciousness of Kenta a, a little bit more. Where I don't think that came across. I don't know if it came across live, but on TV, it was just like, here's a guy throwing some kicks every so often. But I never felt that this guy is trying to kill this guy. I never thought that this guy's being a killer to that guy. I just thought it was a guy in the ring throwing some stiff kicks and then waiting for his opponent to get up to throw another stiff kick. See, like, I it, didn't
0: have a, See, I, to me, the intensity and the viciousness did come through. That wasn't my problem with the match because the kicks were echoing through the fucking
1: building yeah you know they didn't i don't know if they came across as well uh, on tv have you watched you have not watched this match on tv yet right i've not no yeah i I think it's going to come across different because i've I've heard from a lot of people that were in the building that love this match a lot more than people that were on tv and there seems to be a very big gap between those people because when you're watching it there and it's you know i I watched it in the morning the early morning or whatever it was just kind of it just wasn't holding my interest i don't know what was going on with it and i just never in my a million years would have thought that Kenton Kotabushi wouldn't have held my interest, but maybe well, live it was this, completely different. This
0: is what I'm saying. There's opinions all over the board on
1: this yeah. one. and I, the worst match. The Anybody that says that, uh, either just skip that Folly and Evil uh, or is just lying out of their ass. Well, Nowhere I, near I, the worst I, match of the night. But
0: I can see someone thinking it was boring, and I can see someone thinking that those two, the blown spot and the iffy finish would yeah. have taken them out of it. If, if, if those two spots landed, I'd be going bonkers for this match. That was a pretty ambitious spot with that dive that was supposed to end. with. Yeah, eight.
1: we know that we was, know who, who pitched that spot. But I, that was the ambitious as <laughs> fuck, and it just did not work. That it was, was not the former Hideo Itami that said, hey, Koda, I got an idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Sosky special. And when you land, I'm going to hit you with a knee in the face. <laughs> like, that's...
0: It just was ugly as fuck and didn't work. And I thought the go to sleep took away so much from this man. But when he doesn't go to sleep, I want him to knock the motherfucker's head off.
1: Uh, that's what i want i will say this and again you'll watch this when you watch maybe on tv it didn't come across as much in in the building kotobushi sold it like a million bucks after it hits him in the bicep which sucks he goes flat he just he just freezes and it looks awesome it looks super cool the problem like you said is that they showed another replay and from that you could tell right away that it didn't hit him at all you can even see like fans notice oh my god it's to go to sleep oh he hit him in the arm and you can see the fans
0: that was totally the reaction in the building. Right, because
1: you could see people getting ready and they're like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a letdown like, that was. There, and if like, you watch, if you do watch this replay, there's a woman that they show. She's um, I believe she's in like a red or like a pink shirt. Uh, and she's right on she's like right where they show this replay, right by the entrance ramp or whatever, and you'll see her get ready to get super excited, and then she goes to like whoever she was with and goes. And she kind of points at her arm like, oh, yeah, it hit him in the arm. <laughs> like It sucks. And I'm like, oh, like that, you feel the disappointment in her, Who's like, yes! Oh, it hit him in the arm. That nah. was
0: me! That was yeah, me up right. in the fucking flagship suite. Okay, that was me. And then it's like th- the same thing with, we talked about this with the Sean Spears chair shot to Cody. Right? This is when the director needs to look at his replay options and not choose that one. Don't show the replay that shows that knee hitting Kota Bushi in the arm. Why are you showing that? Show an angle which disguises that. Or better yet, don't show a fucking replay if it looks like shit. Leave the memories alone. Because watching the move live, it didn't look nearly as bad to me from the angle I was, because I was behind them. Right. And then I see the replay, and I'm like, God, that took the sting out of it. You know, it really looked like shit.
1: So, and no one's going to care if you don't show a replay either. No will notice. Nobody will nobody will say, "Oh my god, they didn't show a replay." God damn them. Like they won't notice. <laughs> they don't care.
0: Yeah, I, you know, especially in New Japan, they never show. Now I know Axis is a little different. But, you know, you get like maybe two replays a show when they when they have a show from Japan. So, I know the production here is a little different. I get it. And they showed a lot of replays, but yeah, anyway. That it would, uh, to me it was a a very good match that if those I didn't I didn't even have a problem not getting a traditional, hot, New Japan-style main event closing stretch. I didn't even have a problem with that. I had a problem with those two spots just not landing. If those two spots would have landed, I'm having a very different conversation with you.
1: All right, and then we'll get to the main event, of course. Can't believe you had to see this live, you bastard. (sighs) Kota. Okada versus Tanahashi live. How was it? I mean... (laughs) You suck.
0: The bell rings, and they have the face off. And that was just chills. I mean, it was just... It's like, I've been to MSG now, and I've been to this show, and look, I've never been to a New Japan show in Japan. I cannot speak on that. I can only go by what people tell me. This country, nobody is Okada in that company, to these fans. These fans grew up on Okada, most of these fans came, you know, into New Japan because of Okada. I saw Justin Bissonette after the show. I had a long conversation with him outside of the arena. And uh, he was there with his girlfriend. And he, he pointed something out to me that, I didn't, that didn't really resonate with me inside the building. I don't think they showed it on TV, or maybe they did. But before the show started, they showed like a, a video of all the past G1 winners, like with the with the trophy in the ring after they won. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it would say like Masachono, 1990, whatever the fuck, right? And they went through year by year. Nobody got a pop until they got to 2012. No one got a pop until they got to Tanahashi, Okada. Nakamura got a big pop. So what does that tell you? These aren't New Japan fans. That were Tatsumi Fujinami fans, right?
1: They're not hand slapped when <laughs> Chono's on that screen, yeah. That's...
0: Right. No one gave a shit. They were respectful, but you didn't get your big pops. Nakamura got an enormous pop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okada got a huge pop. Tanahashi got a pop.
1: Well, that happened at, at MSG too. They showed the uh, the Ring of Honor Ma- or the the, Ring of Ma- or the New Japan Champions video that they show right, right, uh, right before, and and we were kind of, you know, me, me and my buddies were kind of like, all right, let's see who gets pops here, and like, yeah, Omega. Knock, you know, he got the biggest pops. Nakamura got the biggest pops. Bob Sapp got pretty good pop, but then, like, yeah, like you said, nobody cared about Fujita, you know? What I mean? Like, no, these aren't guys that were like, ah, yeah, I that Fujita. Here we go, baby. Like, not the, that that weren't those weren't those type of fans there, and they were not those type of fans at the G1 show either.
0: Yeah, and it's like these American fans that come to these shows. I mean, they they you get the sense that ninety percent of them, you know, became New Japan fans. Because of Okada and Ustream and New Japan World and, uh, the Voice of the Wrestling flagship podcast. You know what I mean? I, like that's the sense that I get. Mm-hmm. And it's like Okada on both of those shows, like Liger had the biggest pop to that point. And we've talked about it for years. Liger is enormously popular whenever he comes to this country, ring of honor, indie shows, whatever, New Japan. And, um, then Okada's pop just blew that the fuck away. And you were in MSG. I mean, his pop was just different in MSG. You know, it's like Naito got his pop and other guys got their pop. And then Okada comes out and it's just like people just go fucking mental. And it's, and, and I mean, that's why I think it was the right call that, you know, that he beat Jay White and that he won this match. And it's like he represents the new era of New Japan, especially with the fans. On this side of the ocean especially so and those guys had their face off and the bell rang and it was just it was a it was it gave you chills you know because especially for me and 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 what it meant for me and you and this site and we grew with this rivalry yeah. this site grew with this route we owe whatever growth this site had has had in large part to the matches that those two guys had everyone listened to the opening of this show where our, I'm screaming and yelling about who, who's better than this guy in a big spot. And you're sitting there telling me not to yell at you. And I'm talking about Tanahashi in a match against Okada. You know, probably their second or third one. You know, and that they've had like a 10 or 11. And to see it in front of my own eyes, and you know, it, it, it just meant so much. And it meant just as much to all those people there, too. Because they all grew into the company on the backs of that match and that rivalry. And it really sunk in for everyone that they were getting to see it in front of their own eyes. And then they went out there, and they didn't have their best match. But they had a great match. And they didn't play the hits, because that's kind of an insult. That's when you go out there and just, you know what I mean. You just kind of do your big spots. And get. But they did their greatest hits. That's what this match was. It was their greatest hits. You got the Tanahashi high cross body to the floor. You got all of the great reversal sequences. They they like threw in little pieces of all of their other matches, right? Tanahashi with the dragon screw and then working over the leg. So you got a little piece of the leg match. You know, you got the the Tanahashi high cross to the floor. You had all the wacky counters uh, and reversals toward the end of the match uh, because they know each other so well. And they went out there and had a great match that was a crowd-pleasing match, and the right guy won. And it didn't overstay its welcome. I think it was like 22 minutes long. It was right after the 20 minute call, and you know they didn't tease the third draw, the third G1 draw, and you know he hit. There was no uh, you know you know wrist clutch, you know hitting the rainmaker and then sh- no, he hit a rainmaker and he beat him after a great match, and everyone was happy and everyone was satisfied, and it was everything we wanted it to be as a crowd those 5,000 people. And it was a fantastic moment and it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to the people there and, you know, it's like Okada winning an MSG and I'm sitting there in the fourth row or whatever it was, to me was like the greatest wrestling moment of my life to that point. And then a couple months later this one topped it. Being there for that match and these two guys and that building and for those great fans in a fucking G1 show. Greatest wrestling moment I've ever been a part of, live, and I will never forget it. That's what I thought of the match.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that that's that's pretty much sums it up. And and one of the big reasons why I've been clamoring for this match to happen on U.S. soil forever for is I went to that Global War show. I said,, wow, I want to say 2016. I want to say maybe 15, and they were in a tag match against each other, and it was the same thing. They both tag in, and everybody they don't they don't move because they're smart wrestlers and they understand. Hey, we can milk this thing for a little bit. They both tag in, they both walk in. They both just look at each other and everybody in the crowd just goes nuts for like five. Like it, it honestly felt like five minutes of a standing ovation for these guys just getting in the ring together. And that was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit. And I had the same thing like you. I was like, man, this is like this website, the website that I run. I'm sitting in the front row wearing, you know, voice wrestling t-shirt. And I'm thinking, man, like this is all because of these guys. <laughs> like the reason I'm doing this and I'm sitting here and I'm, I, I talk about this every single week and all this sort of stuff is because of these two guys. Having this rivalry that they're having, so so being there and being able to see an actual, because th- then they you know nobody did it, it was a, a random you know tag match on a global war, so they tagged out pretty quickly after and that was it and it was like man all I got was that little taste a little moment they maybe did like a shoulder block or two and and tease some stuff but that's all they gave you they're like nah we're not gonna give you the whole thing but be, to be there live for not only. A, a New Japan show, but a G1 show, like you said, with these two guys there. I just, I, I, I'm internally jealous of what you got to do there. But uh, it, it was, yeah, it was an awesome match, and, and yeah, play the hits is maybe a little more demeaning, but you know, it, great, it, it, great, right? Like, where they still got it, you know? What I mean, they could still do it, yes. but they just don't need to. And that's, that's one of the things when I talked about on the Patreon show that I'm. This is probably in the lower half of the matches they've ever had. Because to me the thing, the reason why I love this rivalry when it was really hot, when it was going in 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 twelve and thirteen and fourteen and and even into fifteen, was because these guys were building off of every single match. The, something that would happen in the match after was based off something that happened that it, before. Like you know, what I mean, like every little piece you could see the puzzle kind of coming together. Okay, Okada realizes he needs to do this to counter Tanahashi doing this, so he, he has the risk budget. He, he's doing this, so he's doing you know, like everything was like a counter to a counter to a counter to a. Counter to a, counter to a
0: <laughs> Yeah, Tanahashi wants to take away the arm in at Evasion attack.
1: Then exactly, he take, right. Then
0: he wants to take away the legs at, at at Wrestle Kingdom. Then, like you said, Okada knows he's, he's you know he's got to do something to so Tanahashi can't get away. So he, he introduced the wrist clutch. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And then this and that's course,
1: yeah, those made those matches so much more special for me because watching them in real time and knowing okay, we saw what happened in the last match. Let's see what's gonna happen in this one. It's like holy fuck, it's tons of callbacks. Oh my god, they're they're building off that. I think now we're going to reach a point with these matches, however many more that happen, that are still going to be great. They're still going to be good. I mean, I think these two could wrestle for another 10 years and it'd still be good and, and many times great. But I think we've, we're maybe, I don't know if we're ever going to get that ever again, that feeling of, this match is going to the, the reason that these guys are fighting is because they're going for the title. You know what I mean? Like it's never going to feel like that ever again. It's never going to feel like they've told their story. Already. Right. The story's over. So now you're just getting these guys again, which is fine. Like I'll take, I'll take these guys wrestling once a year for the next 15 years and I'll be fine with it. It's okay. But we're never gonna be able to bottle up exactly what that was again. So that's why I said it was like, I can watch this and go. Yeah. That was a great, you know, that was a great concert that I went to of, of the Rolling Stones. you know, the Rolling Stones aren't what they were, you know, 30 years ago. But goddamn, they played everything I wanted to hear, and it was a fun show. And I'm glad I went. You, you know, like that's how you're going to be with it. It's not going to be like this transcendent. Oh my god, you have to go and see what Okada and Tanahashi did this weekend. It's never going to be that again, which is fine. They did that. They already had about six or seven of those transcendent. Oh my god, drop everything you're doing and watching that. But still, these guys are going to be great. But yeah, if 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 any one criticism I'll give is that it doesn't live up to, I don't know, the greatest series in wrestling. History. You know what I mean? Like, that's the one criticism, is that, oh darn, they can't have, you know, the matches that they were having five years ago that were some of the greatest ever. Instead, they're just having really, really good matches.
0: It's it's kind of like, you know, Marty Skrull beat Will Ospreay for like four straight years, and then when Will finally beats him, the story's over.
1: Right. They're going to have matches it's, again, but it's never going to be the same.
0: Yeah, right, because you lost, like, the, 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 the story's done. Will finally didn't get outwitted in the end. He finally didn't fall for the villainous tactics and blow it when he had him on the run. Like, that story's done. So now if they, when they, and I'm sure they'll have singles matches moving forward, those two. It's, it's, it won't have the same punch as when they were in the midst of telling that story. And Will would find a new way to blow it every time because he finally got him in a big spot. So it's kind of that same kind of similar theory. Even though I wouldn't put those matches as good as they were anywhere near the level of these matches. I mean that's just it's just not the same. Yeah, of course. But but it's it's it is the same idea the story's done. So now what do you do? You go out there play the greatest hits. And as long as both of them are still physically capable, they're going to go out there and have these four and a quarter star matches in their sleep. You know, but again, are they going to reach those other great heights? No, not unless they find a way to tell a new story because the other story is complete.
1: All right, so that was the uh, G one opening night. Anything else that you need to add? Any live other live perspectives, fun stuff, people you want to shout out?
0: I mean, I saw a million people. I saw shaking
1: hands and kissing babies all over the place.
0: I listen. I I cannot get through the concourse after this show, and you know I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm getting stopped every thirty seconds by somebody. I ran into our our fucking half of our fucking staff. You know, walking through the concourse, they're all staying there together. You had John Carroll, Jack Beckman making a rare appearance, uh, live appearance. Uh, the August Baker was there. Uh, 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 Jeremy was there. Uh, uh, who else was there? I'm going to forget somebody else. Suit Williams. I saw Suit Williams um, early on in the show. Like I said, I watched most of the show with uh, Damon from the Super J cast. That whole crew was up there in the flagship suite. Uh, you know, so uh, you know it, it's it's you know I ran into Justin Biss and I ran into Aaron Quinn. Always a pleasure to see Aaron Quinn at the show and and uh, shoot the shit afterwards. So and I'm forgetting a million people, but I mean it's just you know especially since it was in Texas. So you know every 20 feet I'm running into someone shaking a hand, kissing a baby, whatever the fuck. And uh, you know and I tell you what after the 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 liger tag that's the other thing. Like he should have just got the fucking fall. Like you guys are in commercial. He's still getting a standing ovation. Oh, he
1: always does. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and he milks it too, man. He's like an old lucha guy. Like, he's just, like if if there, if there people were willing to throw money in the ring or if people got used to it, he would take all of it. You know what I mean? Like, he gets in there and he does the bow and he does the wave and all this. And he's like, there was a time, I think I was at a live event with Liger. I was like, all right, dude, get out of the ring. Like It was like five minutes of him bowing. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> like, get yeah. out of here. Like, let's go. But he, he milks it, man, and he should because this is it. Like you said, a lot of, what, 75%? Safe to say, 80% maybe of people in that arena. This is the last time they're ever going to see Liger live.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Keeping it strong, style guys were there. I don't want to forget them. Uh, uh, Ross Berman met that guy for the first time. Um, hey, Ross is a good dude. The little media lounge area. Um, uh, the guy that sells the uh, the fucking olive oil who should be buying ads, Brady. He was there. He came up and said hi. I saw Oat slash Epitasis. Yeah, of course. Never yeah. tell which one it is. It may so, be one of
1: the co-hosts of Everything of All. Yeah, I mean, of so or it might not be. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I didn't go up to that guy who's the same guy because I don't want to. You know, I don't know which one it is ever. But I made slight eye contact with. I've one met of,
1: them, and they're not that similar. <laughs> you, you always present them as I very similar people.
0: I'm not convinced it's a different person. <laughs> I, so, you know. Um, I, I ran into one of them in the bathroom at La Boom in New York. That sounds creepier than it is, but we just happened to see each other in the bathroom. He introduced himself as Oat, and then when he said goodbye, he said he was Nate. So who knows? I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't know which, uh, you know, uh, which, which, which is oh, which, God. so, you know, it, you know, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, so saw a million people. It was a tremendous show, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so. Um, That
1: was the G1 in Dallas. There we go. All right, plenty more to get to. Let's jump into AEW right now. we got Fight for the Fallen coming up this weekend. Uh, Also a free show on BR Live. It's going running uh, this Saturday uh, up against the Evolve 131, which we're going to preview here in a moment as well. Uh, But we'll start out with uh, AEW Fight for the Fallen, their third show now. Uh, It's getting kind of consistent here. Uh, It feels like we're getting into a little bit of a a rhythm. But uh, overall thoughts on Fight for the Fallen before we kind of go match by match here.
0: I have um enjoyed both of the AEW shows and it's like I said last time when we reviewed Fighter Fest there's just enough space between them where I'm wanting the next one by the time it gets there. So I'm looking forward to watching this and seeing to where and seeing how some of these stories progress. I'll say something else about the lineup. I like how they don't shoehorn the entire roster onto every show.
1: I do. I do like that, yeah.
0: I don't need everyone on every single show. Let me miss Chris Jericho a little. Let me miss whoever, Sonny Kiss, who wasn't on the last show. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need everyone shoehorned into every single show. So I like that aspect of it too because then it makes each show feel kind of fresh. And I think that the booking has been mostly solid on the first two shows. I think they're they're doing, um, you know, good show-to-show booking. These shows have their warts that we've gone over a million times, whether it's the pre-show or the librarians or too many multi-mans. But in general, I think the booking has been solid. I love that they all do all clean finishes. That fucking that makes my nipples hard. I love the clean finishes. I really get into that. I love going into a match and knowing I'm getting a clean winner. I love that. Um. So there's a lot to like. And, you know, It's a decent-looking card on paper, but I'm really looking forward to it because the shows have delivered both times. So I'm confident that this will deliver, and I know I'm going to have a good time for three hours watching it.
1: Absolutely. We'll start with the buy-in here and then get to the stuff we want to talk about here. But uh, two buy-in matches this time. We have Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc, and Joey Janela versus Sammy Guevara, MJF, and Sean Spears. Any thoughts on that match?
0: Yeah, I mean... As far as the buy-in this time, it's like, if you eliminate the librarian now...
1: <laughs> we have to talk about it,
0: though. No, then it's fine, because I right. think that Six Man is interesting, because yeah. it's like, just because MJF and Sean Spears are heels doesn't mean that they have to like each other, and there's layers to these characters that they built in on the last show to where MJF might be this asshole, but he does have loyalty to Cody. And that's part of his – that gives him some character depth as opposed to just being this one-dimensional cartoon heel. He's somebody who showed real human emotion because he does have ties to Cody, and I like that. So I like that it's just not 1986 WWF style. All of the heels are buddies all of the baby faces are buddy. right.
1: <laughs> they have different locker rooms. They right. drive this cars together. But yeah, once the arena comes, then that's when they fight. And that's when they brawl. Yeah. It, it is interesting.
0: No, these are real people that get along with some people and don't get along with others. Even if they're overall, they're, you know, a healer face.
1: Right, they've done a good job with Spears too. I don't know if you've watched any of the Road Two stuff, but he's like a a complete outsider. Like he's not with anybody. He's just kind of like hanging out in the arena by himself. He's by himself. Like he's he's very much a loner. And I hope they do this too, where he comes out and he doesn't really want anything to do with these other two dudes. He's doing his own thing. He just happens to be in this match.
0: Yeah, and you could tell that the MJF stuff and integrating him into the Spears Cody thing. This is all Cody. All of the stuff Cody has touched. All of the stuff that seems to have the Cody influence is the best stuff on everyone. I was going to tell you that.
1: That was going to be my hot take, is that (laughs) after watching a few of these shows, and and presumably after Fight for the Fallen, if Cody was like the main guy in charge of the creative, I think I'd be a lot happier than if if you appointed any of the other guys uh, to be the lone creative guy. Because, yeah, everything Cody's touched, I've I've really liked so far.
0: If our presumptions are correct, correct, of course. But since I would assume that he has the creative control over his own matches and angles, so it's safe to assume. Because he has always preached... He doesn't believe in baby faces and heels anymore. So he's kind of this weird tweener. And then he's doing this thing where MJF shows some compassion, even though he's a fucking heel. All of that stuff has Cody's hands, uh, fingerprints all over it. Even the old school feel of his matches and his angles. You know, we know that he loves that kind of stuff. And I think that Cody's segments, if you want to call them that, on the first two shows have landed. Uh, much be- they've been the highlights of both shows yeah
1: and, and if you watch the uh the road to uh videos as well which are on the nightmare well w- <laughs> that's a discussion for another day we've had it before but on the nightmare family youtube page which is his you know youtube page or whatever th- those road to whatever's double or nothing road to fighter fast Road to Refall- for the phone those have been incredible they're very simple sit-down interviews all based off rea- like it's just dustin and cody talking about why they're annoyed about the young bucks Cody brings up just, and we'll get to it when we talk about the main event too, just like little subtle stuff. And and we'll, you know, I'm going to allude to a little bit of things that I saw in this too that I wonder were we're sort of teasing maybe the thing that we've been talking about a a turn uh, possible. But like you see such like just kind of subtlety and simple storytelling. And then you see being the elite, which whatever. I mean, being the elite has obviously had its success, but being the elite is very tongue in cheek, funny, haha. And it's you know got the librarians in it and and i guess it's a good time to transition to Sonny kiss uh versus uh preeter avalon of course with leva bates uh, coming out with him so the, the librarians are there again and, and this week's being elite you basically have uh the young bucks saying yeah hey, we should get rid of the, the librarians and Leva bates comes in and goes you know hey guys i hear the crowd reactions and it's obvious We need more librarians, and everyone's like, Yeah, all right, yeah. And then, then, you know, Matt and Nick are like, We should book the librarians for five years. Like, this is great. So, it's tongue in cheek. They know that it sucks, that people think it sucks, but they're going to lean into it a little bit more because that's what they do. They're kind of these jokesters and fun guys. And, like, that's good for some, but like, I'll take the Cody stuff a thousand times over that. I'll take (laughs) Cody getting mad that Kenny Omega didn't know that him and Dustin were a team before or that they had good matches. Like, just that's it. Like, that's all it needed to be for him to say, like, you know, yeah, that was a little, that kind of annoyed me. And the Bucks, you know, they make fun of our little. A hug because they think it was you know fun, but this isn't fun for us. Like this is our lives, you know. This is this is my brother, and 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 we just had a war, and and it, so it's like little stuff like that. I'll take that over, like ha ha, ha like this is so funny and and, and goofy. But. Yeah,
0: so that's a good transition to Sunny Kiss versus Peter Avalon. I mean, it, it's on one hand. Look, I, I made this point on Twitter, and I'm going to make it here for all the listeners. I'm done for the most part complaining about the pre shows because. I strongly – we both strongly suspected after the last one that it's like, okay, maybe they don't just view these things in the traditional pre-show sense that historically – historically, pre-shows have been to draw people into purchasing something or watching something, right? It's like this is the teaser. This is what you're going to miss out on if you don't watch the show coming up after this. This is what you're going to miss out on if you don't purchase the pay-per-view. And these things were so bad that to me, I was like, these people are too smart to be this dumb about the way they're using their pre-shows. So to me, maybe they just don't view pre-shows the way that they've been viewed historically by everybody else in wrestling. And, you know, we've been told that that's the case. We were right. They don't view the pre-shows like that. It's like they want the shows to be sort of this goofiness in the beginning and the seriousness at the end.
1: Right. Escalating that's towards escalating. real serious blood, you know, grudge match at the end of the show. But then kind of ha-ha at the beginning.
0: Right. So now as a critic, now I think that's a mistake. In my opinion, the pre-show should be used to capture casual fans who are on the fence about whether to go on Bleacher Report Live and, and create an account to watch your show or to plunk down however much money for a pay-per-view or a stream. To me, that's how I would use the pre-show. I think that's the best use of that hour of time. They don't view it that way. So I have to stop critiquing it that way. Because they're not using it in that fashion. They don't view they, That's not their philosophy. I don't agree with their philosophy. I think it's stupid. I, I, I think it's flat-out stupid not to use the pre-show in that manner. But... As of right now, that's their company philosophy. If that's the case, we're going to have to sit through this crap. And like you said, they're leaning into the librarian now. It's very clear that they understand no one likes it. But here's the problem. The only way that's going to work is if now the fans go along with that lean in and give it the right kind of heat. Because on the last show, it did not have the right kind of heat.
1: All it did was kill the crowd. (laughs) It had nothing, yeah.
0: It killed the crowd, and in fact, to me, it hurt the rest of the show to some extent because they seemed hotter before that. And then they cooled off a little after that stuff. So um, if the idea is to just make sure that we all fucking hate this until we come around and give it the right kind of heat, that's a pretty risky proposition. With all of that said, it's still just a pre-show. And I'd be, you know... I'm wound up enough about it, but I'd be more wound up if they were wasting time on this crap on the main show. Right. And if they waste time on this junk on TV, which I suspect they're going to, do, I'm going to flip out about that. This this shit should not be on TV.
1: Right. Yeah. You could you could presumably skip these buy-ins and and be perfectly happy with everything they're doing, <laughs> which you know it is like I probably would be. You know, honestly, I you know little gripes here and there, but if I didn't watch the buy-ins and I didn't watch the pre-shows, I'd be. Not a hundred percent, but but almost entirely happy with what they're oh, doing. The,
0: the buy-ins contain ninety percent of the problems I have with. them. Exactly, right, right. The shows have been tremendous. You know, I thought they've they've been they've been pretty good. They've been like eight out of ten show. I thought the first, you know, all all um, what was the last show called? Double or nothing.
1: I thought it was a historical oh, fighter show. fest. Are you talking about fighter fest? I'm
0: talking about double or nothing. It was oh, okay. a historical show to me. I'll remember that show forever. That would that was a and fighter fest to me was a very enjoyable show, an 8 out of 10, for on the enjoyment scale, you know, if you don't count the fucking buy-in, so, um, but it is what it is, and we're going to get Sunny Kiss vs. Peter Avalon, I'm sure it's going to be loaded with horrible comedy that isn't funny, and um, then we're going to get our main show.
1: Let's get to the main show, here we have, uh, <laughs> it's back, a three-way tag team match to advance to All Out for an opportunity at a first round bye in the All Elite Wrestling World Tag Team Championship Tournament. Ah, it's the Dark Order versus Angelico and Jack Evans versus Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus for an opportunity at an opportunity at an opportunity for a championship opportunity. So,
0: so here's what's here. So Dark Order. So Best Friends won the last one. So yes. Dark Order is obviously winning this. And then Dark Order is going to wrestle Best Friends to earn the buy. Correct. The tag team tournament, which basically means that fucking Dark Order versus Best Friends is a first round match. That's what it is. Because the winner advances to the second round.
1: It's a play-in so, game, Joey. I know how you love play-in games. But it's
0: not. It's I just know. a first-round match. Because the winner goes to the second round. And they had to win two matches to do it.
1: <laughs> it's been a grueling, a grueling way to get has, to the... Yeah, the...
0: <laughs> everyone else just has to win one. So what are they really earning here? The only difference is the loser will be in the tournament anyway, presumably. Right. But the winner still had to win two matches to get to the second round when everybody else only has to win one. Correct. What kind of a fucking reward is that? It's not a reward.
1: Yeah, they honestly should have just booked these as like teams that are are, are trying to get momentum going into the tag team tournament.
0: Or how about this? You want to put you, you claim you put an emphasis on wins and losses, right? And you're gonna count the stats and all this bullshit. How about you just say before your first show, okay? The tag team with the best record when we start our tournament is going to get the bye. How about that? Then all of your tag matches are meaningful. And whoever the fuck, maybe one team is 3-0 when you start your tournament, they get the bye. That would have been simple, and it would have worked in all these wins and losses that you claim you're going to work in that you haven't yet. Which I get it, you've only had two shows. But, I mean, this is just so convoluted. Look, it's not a big deal. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything that they have this dumb tournament structure. It's not killing the shows for me, but what it does do is it forces me to waste seven minutes on my podcast every week, and I really don't want to do that.
1: All right, so we'll move on now. I don't know. Can you hear it? There's something. I don't know what the hell this is. There's like a car or a scooter behind me. It's very annoying. <laughs> it's going to drive down. Uh, the Sorry oh, if oh, you hear oh, that. So. What it's worth, I can't hear it. Okay, good. It's it's, it's infuriating to me. But anyway, uh, Adam Page versus Kip Sabian.
0: Yeah, so they're going to keep Page warm here as he heads into his world title match uh, with a win over Kip
1: Sabian. So. Yeah, which I'm fine with. Again, good win for the guy that's going to go for your title. More of these. More of guy on the lower mid card gets beat by the guy in the upper mid card. Or the upper card. It's fine. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> and and it just, it just continues to scream to me that the booking for Adam Page got all thrown off, again, because he just is in these weird matches that on paper don't seem like would have been his trajectory. So, I don't know.
1: I got Brandy Rhodes versus Allie, and I don't know if you've been following the build to this, but essentially, <laughs> the road to uh, uh, the road to fight for the fallen. Uh, Brandy Rhodes gets out of her car, and Allie says, "Oh, I heard your story, and I really was inspired by it. Uh, so, good luck on Saturday. I hope we have a great match." And then they hug, and that's the build.
0: Uh, yeah, I have no use for this. Brandy Rhodes isn't any good. Um, Allie's okay, um, but I will say this: it's a singles match in the women's division. So I'll take it.
1: It's a t- yeah, you'll definitely, for sure. Uh, Lucha Brothers, SoCal Uncensored. Yeah, that's going to be, uh, no no Daniels here. This is going to be Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, I should mention.
0: It seems like that's been the split, right? It seems like that seems to be the tag team. And Daniels is the singles guy, and then they have trios matches. But, um, yeah, I mean, this has a chance to be really good. So I think the tag stuff has all been good you know on on all of the shows oh yeah yeah
1: no definitely agree so, other than other uh, than the uh the championship opportunity opportunity opportunities other than that <laughs> yeah i mean like i said
0: it's like the stip is what it is but the matches themselves no, are, no the
1: matches have been great yeah it's just, and yeah.
0: you know we should address we got we were too wrapped up in like the stipulation that doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day um but dark order really has to deliver in that match because their shit has not been over along with the librarians it's like the only shit that in this company,
1: that right? And, and, been- and we talked about it two weeks ago that this crowd wants yes. so badly to cheer for every single thing that these people are doing. They want to be invested, they are invested, they want it to succeed, and they can't even give like token cheers or booze to the Dark Order. It's just like because uh, it's corny, yeah,
0: it's not working. And so, they really need to, in their first match, have a good performance. I mean, they're going to win, but they've got to look good too because that act has not gone over.
1: Uh, And then the two matches I'm really, really looking forward to. Kenny Omega and Shima. (laughs) Kenny Omega and Shima. Are you kidding?
0: (laughs) And the booking here is so good because Kenny loses to Jericho. And um, then he's in a tag. And Shima got the win over Christopher Daniels to kind of build him up for Kenny to get his first singles win in the company. So it's good booking. This is logical. It makes sense. And it's a strong semi-main event win for Kenny to get a win under his belt against a guy who seems to be slotted as like an upper mid-carder, right, Fushima
1: Oh, absolutely. No, for sure.
0: So you got an upper mid-card guy who's treated with respect coming in undefeated, by the way. So it'll be a good win for Kenny to finally get a win under his belt. Well booked.
1: The match I'm really looking forward to too I, I know kenny will be super inspired and, and and shima can you know he's not gonna be a guy that's gonna go out there and, and and do it on his own but i think kenny is gonna work his ass off to try to make this everything he can so i i cannot wait to see uh what these guys come through with and 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 yeah shima you know he's capable of still having some good stuff uh but we know kenny will be super inspired by this one too so i'm, I'm excited to see it uh, and then the main events of course built off of double or nothing you have cody and dustin Rhodes versus the young bucks and i mentioned the road to fight for the fallen uh, where they do a sit down interview, it's Cody and, and Dustin. If you have not seen this, I highly, highly recommend uh, you check it out. Uh, first off, Joe, I think you and I predicted this at Double or Nothing. Are you still on the board with Dustin turning on Cody or Cody turning on Dustin?
0: Nah, they did it with Spears, so that there is the angle. I mean, they're not going to do it again. I mean, they're not going to have someone fucking double cross Cody again. So mm, um, I
1: don't know. Alright, I... well, do you have another? T-
0: well, let's. Hear yeah, it. I don't know.
1: There's, there was enough subtlety in this video that kind of watch any of that yeah yeah if you watch it there's i and this might be me sort of working myself into a shit which is fine because that's fun to do in wrestling sometimes yeah is they were doing the sit-down interview and it's basically cody and dustin talking about getting ready for this match or whatever they're sitting like and again this may have just been a complete accident but they're sitting like uncomfortably far apart from each other yeah where the camera has to like zoom out to get them both in the shot dustin's kind of like like not an arm's length but but enough away where like Normally, this wouldn't be the case, especially for brothers doing a sit-down interview. They'd be a lot closer to each other. And then you have a shot where Cody is looking at the camera and Dustin's behind him. He's kind of like subtly like, you know know what I mean? Like in every shot, Cody was in front of Dustin. Yeah. And we've always talked about that. That would be the kind of the cool angle where Dustin's like, who the fuck are you, man? I'm goddamn Dustin Rhodes. Like, don't think you're a, some hot shit. Cause you've had a, a, a couple of cool little years under your belt. Like I'm, you know, I, I was doing this thing when you were still in diapers. So don't, you know, don't get a twist. So I like that idea. And there was another part too, where, where, where Dustin was getting like real vicious about the young bucks. Like he was like, I don't like those guys. I'm going to, I'm a power slam the hell out of them. I don't like what they do and all this sort of stuff. And, and Cody's like, you know, I, I love those guys. I respect them. They're, you know, my best friends, but there was some stuff that they did that annoyed me or whatever. But it, like. Dustin's got a little bit more of like a no you know fuck these guys these guys yeah. are assholes and they're making fun of us and Cody's like yeah you know it upset me but you know we're, we're friends and we're you know they're my buddies and it's like I, I do wonder if there's a little bit of of like you're gonna let these guys you know make fun of me and do all this sort of shit and you're gonna still be friends with them like I, I again again might be working myself into a shoot but hopefully you know either way it doesn't matter they produce these well enough where I can think that for a second where I can in my head be like ooh that was kind of interesting And and, and there's just a few other things where um Cody mentioned that him, the bucks and Kenny were at dinner with TNT uh, executives and that everybody was kind of taken aback that Cody and Dustin were ever a team. And Kenny Omega was like, Oh really? I never knew you guys were even a team or, Oh, you guys had really good matches or whatever. And Cody, you could see him get a little more upset, but he, then he still kind of goes like, yeah, there's my friends or whatever. And Dustin's just like, I don't know, man, like these guys are sound like assholes. Like, They're your friends, but all they keep doing is, you know, talking shit about us. So I I just thought that was like, I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait for this match now. Because then you get the Bucks, and the Bucks are still laughing it off. You go to Being the Elite, and they're still, you know, crying about picking up Ubers and telling, oh, I need my brother to pick me up an Uber, you know, need my brother, like, making fun of the blood, you know, doing a lot of that sort of stuff, I'm making fun of that moment that was such a symbolic, like, Huge moment for Cody, Cody and Dustin. So I'm very curious to see where this goes, whether, you know, Dustin turns on Cody or maybe Cody also just sort of gets a little bit more vicious towards the box, or I don't know what it is it's going to be, but I feel like they've done enough little subtleties in this build and in these videos that you can't just have them go do a match and shake hands afterwards. Like, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they will, but I, there was just enough in that video where I was like, ooh, I don't know. So hopefully, I don't know. Either either way, I'm fucking excited for this match, and I cannot wait uh, to see what these guys have under the belt because I have no doubt this is going to be great. Uh, And it speaks to, again, that that the Cody stuff and the stuff that he's producing and the stories that he's telling, presumably from what we know, are really working for you and I more so than a lot of the other stuff going on.
0: Well, yeah, if you do the dust in turn, you've got to find a way to integrate it into the Spears thing. Otherwise, you're just copying the same angle and it's weird.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it is a little weird. After the Spears thing, I have now lost a little not like just kind of like ah damn it's going to be a little tricky now it's going to be a little difficult but then watching that video i was like mm, i don't know man so i, I we'll see yeah. i am I'm, I'm very in between now
0: yeah i mean you know after double or, you know double or nothing the way that all played out it just to me it just screamed at me oh he's got to turn on him i mean that's just wrestling 101 and it's territory stuff that you saw a million different times and that's what Cody's influence is but I feel like they did the angle and they did it with someone else. So, but what you're telling me, I don't believe any of that is happenstance because that's just not the way this young company has operated at this point. Everything has meant something. Right. Even going back to the all in days where all of the little shit on being the elite meant something and played into the show in some regard. So, you've talked me back into it. There's definitely something going on. Um, you know, but but we'll have to see. You know that that does add an interesting layer. I should probably try to watch some of this. Yeah,
1: stuff. If, 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 yeah. See if you have similar thoughts to me. I think maybe less so. Maybe I'm not. I'm I'm out of the camp. Maybe of Dustin turning on Cody, but I am in the camp of maybe like Cody really, you know, backing his brother and, and going for the box, or maybe Cody. I, I don't know. There's something to it though. I just watched that video and I was like, nah. There's a little too much going on here for me to see, to, to, to see.
0: Out. I don't I don't watch the road twos. I don't. I do not watch being Elite. Here's my problem with all of that. They make me work too hard. I don't want to go to 19 different places to try to keep up. You know me. I expect these places to make it easy for me, the consumer. I shouldn't have to work hard and go, oh, wait, these are on this YouTube channel. Oh, the thing I want to watch is on this other YouTube. No, I I just get frustrated, throw my hands, and I don't bother. And that's part of the problem here because I know I'm not alone. And I do think, though, when the TV starts, it's kind of going to negate all that. Because then you've got the TV to build everything. Right now, they right. Have- all
1: this all this stuff should presumably be on the TV. If it's not, that's a disaster. But yeah, all this right. should be on the TV.
0: Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I'll make it a point to go watch that because you piqued my interest, and I want to see. If I pick up on the same subtleties you did.
1: Yeah, let me know. I, I, I'm interested to see if I'm, I was alone or, or, or not. And I, I kind of alluded to it that I was going to preview it on the podcast, the things that I saw. So if, if you're listening now and you've watched the video and you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I think you were on something or hey no, you're all way off base. This is what I saw or whatever. Then, yeah, let me know, because I, I, I thought it was interesting. And like you said, nothing that they do, it, it, it's subtlety is meaning something for this company so far. And there was enough in this video for me to go, mm, I don't know. Like, it's a little, little interesting here, but
0: uh... anyway, AEW they're off to a good start. And I'm looking forward to the show. And it, they're already one of my favorite promotions to watch already. Uh, because they just do a lot of things that, that are towards my sensibilities as a fan. And they haven't annoyed me really at all with anything important yet. They've annoyed me with a lot of undercard stuff. That's, that's just, you know, frustratingly bad that we've, you know, beat to the ground a million times already, but they're giving me clean finishes. They're giving me good booking. They're giving me good. You know, the Mox thing came off like a million bucks at double or nothing. The Cody chair shot came off. Great. The Cody Dustin match came off. Great. Um, so they've, they've really given you Jarek uh, uh, Omega getting his revenge and attacking and at the end of the last show came off. Great. They're landing all of their big angles. It's well booked from show to show. We're getting clean finishes. Rich, it's all I want out of my wrestling.
1: Yeah, can't complain. <laughs> it's
0: really all I want out of my wrestling. So they're not – yeah, and I've got my minor gripes. But overall, I mean, this is already one of my favorite promotions in the world to pay attention to, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but Rich, going head-to-head.
1: Yeah. Head yeah wrestling to war, head. Wrestling war, baby. <laughs> Let's go. For the
0: fall is Evolve 131, a promotion that uh, a lot of people have stopped paying attention to not Joe Lanza. Joe Lanza's still on top of the Evolve. Listen, I enjoy the Evolve. I, you know, We've talked about it a million times. I think it's an interesting promotion to follow uh, now that they've pivoted into the direction they have. And they will debut on the WWE Network. I'm excited about this. It's so much easier. I wish they would move all their shows to the WWE network. People don't have to subscribe to 19 different things. Um, arg the pirates with their parrots, don't have to struggle to find the shows. Just put them all in one place so we could, you know, pay our 999 a month, and you know, it's essentially an umbrella promotion anyway. Just stick it on there. And hopefully, my big hope here is this breaks the seal. And we get more, if not all of the evolved shows on the network. And then they follow suit with progress. And they follow suit with anybody, you know, with everybody else that they, they do this umbrella business with. And just so we can cancel all these other subscriptions and just follow all this stuff under one roof. I would have no problem with that. I think that would be tremendous. And I think, let me at, pose the question to you because I think I suspect I know your answer. If they announced on this show that moving forward, WWN Live was a thing in the past, and the entire, you know, you know forget the entire WWN family of shows, but Evolve was now, from this point forward, going to air live on the WWE Network every time there's an Evolve weekend. I bet you Rich Krejci would watch every single show. Is that oh, true? Oh, absolutely. No, 100%. See? And that's what I mean. And I know you're not alone. You're not watching every single show now. You're not plunking down money on these Evolve weekends. You're probably not watching any of them.
1: And no, I'm not, and and I talked about this a year ago when they've changed a lot of their structure, and I think a lot of people followed me as well, is that when you when they, they decided, okay, you're going to be able to watch it live for this price or whatever, and if you're a Club WN and all that, so it, got, it was confusing as fuck, but essentially what they did, more than anything, is they made VOD not really something that they cared about anymore. So it was, like, the shows don't go up now for, for a few days afterwards, and by that point, I already have 15 other wrestling shows to watch. Like, there is a lot of Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings where I wake up and I go, oh, yeah, there was an Evolve show last night. Let me go check it out. Fuck, it's not available on WWE Live yet. All right, well, it's going to be available on Tuesday. I'm not going to watch it on a Tuesday. I'm available now. Like, but if they popped up immediately on WWE Network, I'm home on a Saturday, or I'm awake on a Sunday morning, I'm watching every single one of those shows. And no you're doubt. already
0: paying for it and, and all those sorts of things. You're not 100% watching every everybody. single one. And I don't even know if what you're saying is true anymore. I think they're available faster now, but you're someone who already gave up, so what's the difference?
1: Yeah, so I, it, I don't even check anymore. So. so
0: it's like, yeah, so that that speaks to your point right there. But, um, you know, this is a big show. This is there. 10th anniversary, uh, they mysteriously dropped all of their Dragon Gate USA branding many weeks ago. That must have been when the deal became official. They announced it shortly thereafter because originally this had a lot of Dragon Gate USA branding attached to it too. And then we're going to celebrate the history of that sub-promotion along with Evolve. That's no longer the case. They've got a show here. It's got a lot of uh, NXT talent on it including the NXT champion. We've got Adam Cole versus Akira Tozawa for the NXT title. Here's what's interesting and a lack of synergy between all of this. I just watched NXT this week and they announced that Adam Cole would be defending the NXT title for the first time next week on NXT, which won't be true by next week because he's defending it against Akira Tozawa on this show. So, uh, you know, when they filmed NXT and 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 taped everything, that tells you that this wasn't set in stone yet or it's such a low priority and they forgot about it that they're advertising Adam Cole's first defense next week on TV, but his first defense is actually Saturday. It is Saturday, right? That's the date of the show? Uh, correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be Adam Cole versus Kira Tazawa for the NXT title. And um, I have a feeling they're going to go out there and fucking kill it. You know, I think that these are two guys who uh, – Especially Cole. I don't. I don't know enough about Tazawa and his relationship with Gabe Sapolsky, but I know about Cole's relationship with Gabe Sapolsky, and I've seen Cole work evolve shows the last couple of weekends, and he gives maximum effort. And you know, Tazawa's a guy who always works hard, so I don't see any reason why he wouldn't go. You know, with the flow and work hard here. This has a chance uh, to be the best match of a loaded weekend on the show that no one's talking about. What do you think of that take?
1: No, absolutely. I, I think, and and your take as well about, um, you know, and and we have a we have a preview up on the website uh, voice of course, uh, about this Michael Levy uh, talking about Evolve One Thirty One and talking about the 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 opportunity for a lot of these guys as well is for the wrestlers one of the biggest opportunities they're going to have it's a showcase and all this sort of stuff for a lot of the dudes that have never been on a network as big as this like a guy like an eddie kingston like this is huge for somebody like an eddie kingston you know what i mean like who's yeah. worked his entire life and worked hard and busted his ass and yeah he was an impact and he was a few other places but this is a huge spotlight for him But more than anybody and anything it's a spotlight for gabe sapolsky it's like uh uh you know Kind of a tribute award for all the years that he busted his ass and built from the underground and built Ring of Honor up and built Evolve and built DG USA and all that sort of stuff. So anybody that has any affinity for Gabe is gonna f- go out there and do all they can to make it so obvious that hey, man, this guy has been busting ass. This is what he's building, and this is something that needs to probably be on the network all the time and give him whatever, you know. it's it, so a guy like an Adam Cole, yeah, I truly believe that he's the guy who's gonna go and 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 run through a wall for a gay There's gonna be a lot of guys we're gonna talk about on the show that I think. Have a lot and owe a lot to Gabe that are going to go out there and make sure that that happens. Akira Tozawa, I have no idea about that, but but he's you know we see what he does on in, in, in those cruiserweight matches where I think he doesn't really I I don't know that he quote unquote cares all that much about it, but he still fucking rocks because he's great. Like he's Akira Tazawa. so if he cares enough, and you have Adam Cole, who I think will care a lot about this, I think it has an opportunity to be really really special.
0: I talked about this a few weeks ago. Akira Tazawa has arguably been the best wrestler in the
1: he's Great league. year, yeah, great year so far.
0: Um. You know, so I really think you know. It's a show. It's a weekend with a million shows, and it's like there's a G one show, and it's the block kickoff of the B block, and and and, and fight and fight for the fallen, and you know, and DDT is on Monday. Cole Tozawa has every bit of chance as any of these other matches to be the best match of the week.
1: Right. Oh, and don't think that there's not a, a locker room rally cry going on. Hey, those other guys over there are fighting us. There were in a quote-unquote war. They're not going to say that because they don't want to give them that much of credit, but whatever they're going to say, they're going to say, hey, people can switch off to the other channel anytime and watch them, so make sure they don't do that. Make sure we kick ass here and everybody stays watching us and doesn't move over to the other one. So don't think that that's not going to be said to every single guy before they walk through that curtain.
0: So they're finally... Unifying these titles. The Thank God, champion,
1: yeah. <laughs> Jesus, it's
0: like, it's so stupid. I, and and you know, he was dragging us out for the anniversary show. I get it, but it's just been God. They 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 just don't need to have these two titles. And the whole idea behind the WWN champion was during the flow was during the flow sports day or the flow what was it called? Flow Flo slam,
1: flow slam, flow
0: yeah. slam days when. There was a valve, and there was uh, style battle, and there was FIP, and there was going. It was going to be set up like the NWA, where all of these things had their own champion, and then there was one blanket champion that would wrestle on all the shows, and that would be the WWN champion. But then when Flow Slam fell apart, obviously this became redundant. But here we are. What a year! More than a year. A year <gasps> April first,
1: two thousand seventeen. April first, two thousand seventeen. This title was Joe. I want a, a little quiz here. Can you name the? What do we got here? Five champions. Five wwn champions since no. April 1st, 2017 until I'll, I'll spot you, J.D. Drake, the current champion, and the first champion, Matt Riddle. Can you even give guesses to the other ones?
0: I know. It's just going to be dead air. Like, if I thought about <laughs> it, if I thought about it, I'd come up with a it'd be
1: essentially you naming people that have maybe worked for Evolve or wwn Okay, That's so exactly. Matt Riddle won it April 1st, yeah. 2017. He lost it in October to Keith Lee at Evolve 94. Right. Last night's standing match. Uh, Keith Lee lost it to uh, Austin Theory Evolve 103. This is also for uh, Austin Theory's FIP World Heavyweight Champion, though. So, uh, this one you will remember because we, you and I talked about this match on a show. Joey Janela defeats Austin Theory on Evolve 106 right. in Brooklyn. Then he has to vacate the title in October because of his knee injury. And then in October, JD Drake wins it. And defends it eleven times. To be fair, JD Drake has had this for a long time, and mostly the because way, they didn't have anything else to do. So, and
0: he's been excellent.
1: Yes, he's been really good in, in the stuff that I have seen. But essentially, like you said, kind of a holding pattern of like, all right, look, we're probably going to have you lose, and we're going to unify these things at one point. But let's just have like, and it, it's helped establish it a lot. It's helped establish JD Drake. But this title is is completely redundant at this point, completely worthless. So,
0: yeah. So they're going to finally. Merge these two things: Austin Theory versus JD Drake, and what I think is a coin flip match, because they've booked Drake very strong, and he's he's over as fuck with these crowds. He has great matches every time, but Theory is the pet project, so it really could go either way. And Austin Theory is making incremental improvements. Um, the last weekend that I that I just watched, he he looked pretty damn solid. So. Um, you know, it's, uh, I know he's a whipping boy in a lot of circles and all that. And it, it's, it's once you have someone establishes a reputation, it's hard for people not to dig their heels in. But I would say to give Austin Theory a chance, particularly in a match here where uh, he's really set up to have a good one. And then we've got, you mentioned earlier, Eddie Kingston and Joe Gacy are the tag champs. They defend against Aaron Fox and Leon Ruff. Leon Ruff is a guy who, uh, they've been elevating, and you knew from the start when the skulk came in that R- Ruff was going to be the guy, and uh, he's a contracted guy now, too. So we got a tag team title match there. I would expect Fox and Ruff to win. I think that'd be a good moment on the network for those guys to win those titles. How about Joe Gacy on the WWE Network? How about that?
1: that is- <laughs> no, it's, some of these it's- guys, Like when you run down some of these names, they're going to be on the WWE Network. It's just like... It's unbelievable. I just can't even fathom that you know I'm gonna be able to punch in into every network and yeah, <laughs> like Colby Carino is gonna be wrestling on it. It's just hard to believe.
0: Yeah. How about Matt Riddle versus Drew Gulak? People are sleeping on this show. Yeah. Oh, dude,
1: that's gonna be a great match matches
0: on this show. And Drew Gulak, how about that? He'll he'll face Matt Riddle, and then the next night he defends the title. Uh, the cruiserweight title on uh, the pay per view against Tony Nese, another former Evolve guy. Uh, so we've got uh, Riddle versus Gulak, and I don't think there's any way that that's not, uh, you know, a very good match at minimum. Of course, the cruiserweight title not on the line. Question for you, Rich: This is interesting. Who wins that match?
1: It's you, you know, it's funny because Gulak kind of has to, but Riddle's being like groomed for an NXT title right, shot. Right. So Riddles I that- really, I'll, I'll be honest, man, I think Riddle wins it. Because they care win, right? that little about the cruiserweight championship,
0: exactly. You know, and it's like, and and, and I get they might think, okay, no one's watching this anyway.
1: <laughs> right, right, right.
0: It's not our canon, and he can win the next night against Nice and all as well. But here's the thing: when the main roster, pe- okay, so I know a lot of people listening are haven't been paying attention. The main roster wrestlers never lose on Evolve. The, the NXT wrestlers can lose. They trade wins with the Evolve wrestlers. They, they lose sometimes. But, like, Adam Cole and, and, like, well, I guess he's not a main roster wrestler, but, um, you know, Drew Gulak is a main roster wrestler, and, and the guys who are pushed hard in NXT, on NXT TV, they never lose when they go to Evolve. Velveteen Dream did not lose when he came to Evolve. It's always the lower-level NXT guys that can eat the loss. Drew Gulak technically is a main roster guy, and he's a champion. But you still think riddle can win
1: i mean he's being pushed to such a high level and it's if, if it was anything but the cruiserweight division or 205 live or the cruiserweight champion i would say no chance in hell but i think it's going to show us how little they care about that and you know in, in in evolve canon matt riddle probably should win too right it's just it's really bizarre uh i well i guess gulak was the guy who who's founded catchpoint so maybe Maybe that's fine, but I just can't see R- Riddle eating a loss right now. Okay, I mean, I know I know about- he doesn't care, but if I was them, I would. would it's really let bizarre. me pitch I don't this to you,
0: though. Let me pitch okay. this to you, okay? Let me take you back.
1: Stokely to- runs in and takes them both out.
0: I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Stokely on the show at all. Um, but let me take you back to ECW One Night Stand. Chris Jericho versus Lance Storm. First match, opening bout. Chris Jericho is, is in his Lionheart getup because it's ECW canon. Lance Storm was pushed hard as fuck, harder than Chris Jericho. Was in ECW, and he wins the match even though Chris Jericho was the bigger W because that show was ECW canon. Do you see where I'm going with this? Right. So Lance Storm won and in ECW canon, that wasn't a big upset at all. Right? Will this be Evolve canon on this show? And. If that's the case, Drew Gulak beating Matt Riddle isn't that big a deal at all,
1: right? Right, right. right.
0: Because, like you said, he formed catch point and all that, and you know he's the cruiserweight champion. It's like I'm interested to see if this show follows Evolve canon for the guys that used to be in Evolve, is what I'm getting at. And that kind of changes because you have Lenny Leonard on commentary, and it's going to be Evolve producing this thing. It's just. Airing on the network, yeah. So, that's a great.
1: That's a great moment for Lenny Leonard too. I forgot to mention him at the top when I was talking about guys yeah. like Gabe. I mean, Lenny Leonard's been busting his ass for a decade plus. One of the best announcers in wrestling, and was a great opportunity for him.
0: Yeah, good for him. Anthony Henry, big opportunity on the network against Arturo Huas. Arturo Huas.
1: Joe, this and is a like, grudge match. You you got to lead off with grudge
0: match. <laughs> grudge match. I all all apologies, Rich. All apologies. So do
1: you do you have uh, do you have the background of this grudge between Anthony Henry? No,
0: no it is a grudge match. They have been feuding. Oh, okay, there we go. Arturo Huas, this is a good example of a guy who's not pushed on television in NXT. So he's a guy who can and will trade wins. So it's a little harder to predict. Anthony Henry is a pushed commodity in Evolve. And Huas is not a guy who's going to be bulletproof in terms of unable to take L's. Like Adam Cole, you know, is not going to lose to other Evolve talent when he goes to Evolve. That's just not going to happen. Huas can lose. Which brings us to our next match, Babatunde versus Colby Carino in a what kind of match, Rich?
1: Oh, that's a special challenge match.
0: <laughs> it's a special challenge match. Gabe has to name all of his matches. Um, Baba Toonday, I gotta tell you, if Vince McMahon decides to watch this, and I guess that's up in the air whether he's going to pay attention to this or not, Baba Toonday's getting called up the next day. <laughs>
1: you, you really... Come on, Joe. Do you honestly... I would bet my house that Vince McMahon is not going to turn on a second of Evolve You know, if that
0: old, crusty fuck... Gave a shit about his company or the business in general, why wouldn't he watch?
1: Because he doesn't give a shit about the business in general or his own company.
0: It's amazing. He should be watching this.
1: You're right. He should. He also just hired Eric Bischoff to turn around his television. And seeing
0: what's on his air and everything else, it's ridiculous. But anyway, if Vincent K. McMahon does
1: You know goddamn well, right? Can you admit that you know goddamn well he's not watching this?
0: Maybe he'll sit down in Stanford with Triple H and <laughs> they right. and catch up
1: the rap and say, "Ah, here we go."
0: And with the grandkids and Triple H will say, "Pop, let's sit down and watch a little Evolve wrestling tonight and see what's on your network." And maybe he'll watch. I'm saying, if that happens, Babatunde is getting called up immediately. He'll be at Extreme Rules. He's lost some weight. He looks like a fucking beast. He looks like a million bucks. He's still green as fuck, but. I think people are going to be very impressed with, at minimum, Baba Tunde's look. And he's going to squash Colby. Colby Carino is there to get destroyed by Baba Tunde.
1: Which is great wrestling because Colby Carino weighs about seventy seven pounds. That's right. And Baba Tunde is a monster, so Baba Tunde should just fucking toss this guy around and pin him in ten seconds. So
0: and this is a showcase for Baba Tunde. And if McMahon does choose to watch, that guy's I'm telling you right now, he's getting called up. Jesus. Yeah, I'm shocked he hasn't been called up yet. Uh, We've got Kurt Stallion versus Sean Maluta versus Stephen Wolf versus Harlem Bravado.
1: (laughs) What a match.
0: Jesus Christ. This is called (laughs) We are We have to find a way to get contracted wrestler Kurt Stallion on the show. We got to find a way to Throw a bone to Harlem Bravado, who's a good prelim wrestler for us, who I've used for many years. So we're going to shoehorn him into this fatal four-way. Uh, Sean Maluta is a guy who's who, again, low-level NXT wrestler who just started with Evolve on the previous weekend. And Steven Wolf is from your neck of the woods. That's an AEW guy, correct?
1: Uh, correct. Yeah, mostly he's kind of Chicago. He's done some shots with the AEW, some shots with uh, Dreamwave back in the day as well. So, yeah, he's starting to, make his, his, he's starting to travel a little bit more and, and, and get his name a little bit known more. Uh, across the northeast and, and that sort of stuff and this is what this really is he's been doing some showcase matches and stuff so a good opportunity for him but yeah he's he's definitely the fourth uh guy in here but there's there's no real reason for any of these guys to be in this match it's just kind of a hey here's what's it's, on the a card. Reward.
0: it's a reward for stallion exactly
1: everybody. right right right
0: and and to get him on the show maluta is the wwe only guy with the wwe deal but he by that by no means means that he has to win again the low level nxt guys absolutely lose frequently um Stallion is the only contracted evolve guy. Bravado works evolve all the time, but I don't think he has a deal. And Wolf is a guy that they've just started using. So, and then we've got two contracted evolve guys: Josh Briggs and, and Anthony Green, who they're high on, who they just signed. Green, not my cup of tea, but I totally understand why they signed him. It's just not my deal. Um, not really that much into him. Briggs, I think, has looked good. Um, he was out for a while with that injury. Uh, they did a great callback spot to that to that uh, uh, injured hip on the last show, where he did the same spot and they 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 uh, they teased the injury and and uh, to the hip and um, you know so he'll take on Green here in a prelim match and we're missing one match on the run sheet. They added a women's match. Shotzi Blackheart is facing I'm trying to remember who it is because Gabe did the gimmick where he put up a poll on Twitter. Uh, saying, Brandy
1: Lauren, Brandy Lauren, the the manager of uh, of Anthony of, Green. of Anthony Green, so, yeah.
0: They did the gimmick where it's like, should we add this to the pay per view? And of course, everyone's going to vote yes.
1: <laughs> right. no. We don't want that match. I, you know, don't, just, don't, people, don't give these people a paycheck. Well,
0: no. it would have been funny if they voted no. Like, yeah. You know, because then what do you like, do? Well,
1: I'm shit. The, Sorry, guys, you're not booked.
0: <laughs> that's the risk of doing that gimmick. Yeah. Is that people turn is like people vote no and make you look like an idiot? Because then you know you're putting them on the show anyway. But uh, obviously, everybody voted yes, so we're getting Shotzi Blackheart versus Brandy Lauren. As well, so that's the Evolve 131 going head to head with Fight for the Fallen, which I mean, geez, you know, pick one and watch it live and watch the other one on demand. I mean, it's not that big a fucking deal. Um, that they're that WWE is doing this, but you know, I get it. I get why. Because they want to they want to make sure that AEW, they want to try to to, to where they're not getting every headline that night. You know what I mean? It's just it's just a disruption. It's trying to not allow someone else to dominate the news cycle on their pay-per-view weekend with a, with extreme rules the next night. So, you know, the news sites and places, look, we're devoting some time to this. So it's like, it's working. You know, I'm not so sure we would have devoted time to this if it wasn't airing on the network.
1: No, Whereas, I mean, look at the last, how many, how many evolved pay-per-views have we previewed over the last two, three months?
0: Sporadic at best. Yeah. So it's like, what they're doing is working on some level, you know? On Cage Side Seats and Daily DDT and 411, name your site, Figure Four Weekly, Torch. They're going to have stories on this show that night. And it's going to be taking away whatever small amount of attention it's going to take away from AEW. AEW will not dominate the news cycle Saturday night now. People will also be reporting and talking about Evolve, at least to some extent. So... I get where people are coming from, and it's very easy to say, oh, well, no one fucking watches Evolve, so this is no big deal. (laughs) Ha, 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 Evolve. How can you counter-program with Evolve? You're missing the big picture here. It does take away some of the attention at night. It does chip away at the news cycle to some extent. So, And from Gabe Sapolsky's perspective, I'm very happy for him. I'm very happy for a lot of the wrestlers on the show. I'm thrilled for Lenny Leonard. This is a great thing for everybody involved, and um, I really hope it leads to more of it. And, um, it's a shame that uh, these wrestlers and Lenny Leonard and Gabe Sapolsky kind of got caught in this goofy kind of war thing and got caught in the middle of all that, because this is a big moment for all of them. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm looking just as much forward to this as I am to AEW. I am genuinely excited to be able to watch evolve on the network and to see how it all comes off and to see some of these people, um, you know, um, succeed and 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 have a big moment in their career. So uh, looking forward to the Evolve this weekend. And I guess we'll talk about it next week too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'll be watching it and, uh, and doing our review. So uh, while we're in WWE land, let's uh... – Get to this, pretty quick, we're a little low on time here, and we wanted to talk about uh slam anniversary and a few other news and notes. Uh, so I guess we can go pretty quick through this one because I can't tell you that I have a ton of opinions about WWE Extreme Rules 2019. You have the Cruiserweight Championship match, as we mentioned. Uh, Drew Gulak, I, I have a dead, a terrible copy here it's Drew Gulark. I don't know who Drew Gulark is. Uh, but he's facing Tony niece for the cruiserweight title. I like Drew like Gulark. That seems like a it's like a 80s grappler or something like that. It'd be pretty good or like some I don't know Drew Gulark versus Tony Nice. In uh, the spirit
0: Sh- in the spirit of Evolve they should have done the gabe gimmick and said if still champion <laughs>
1: Right yes yeah. so if Drew Gulak is still cruiserweight Goulark champion defends yeah.
0: against Tony Nice. Yeah, like, okay. yeah look I'm surprised they did this two months in a row. I thought we would have moved away from Nice by now. But, um, you know, it was—it had a good match. The yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So, I don't know if it's going to be a pre-show match or what. But um,
1: As know. of right now, I do not think it is listed as a pre-show, but they haven't listed what the pre-show match is going to be as of this recording. So that might change by the time we're done recording this. But, yeah, as of right now, there is no, quote, pre-show match. So who knows? Yeah.
0: So Drew Gulak is poised to uh, have a pretty good weekend because he's set up to have two pretty decent matches here.
1: Uh Rock Tad Team Championships, the Revival versus the Usos.
0: Yeah, I mean the Revival haven't signed yet, correct?
1: Um
0: they're still like mulling that over the second. I that-
1: think so. I one of them made some tweet about like, oh, I paid off my student loans or I bought two trucks yeah, or whatever. Was, so yeah, I don't know what that was about. They're so.
0: always working and, you know, hey, who knows? But um yeah, I don't know. It's it's now we're into main roster stuff. This could look if they let these guys go out there and have a great match. It, yeah, these two teams could have a fucking incredible match. It could have the best tag team match of the year. But what the... F- are we going to get back shaving here? Are we going to... I don't know what they're going to do. So, it, it's hard for me to... to
1: a to, game to, of bags? <laughs> could be yeah, I,
0: you know, are we going to play cornhole? I, I don't know what's going to happen here. So, you know, if it, it, the potential's there, though, to have, you know, the tag team... The, the ceiling for this is the best tag team match in wrestling this year. I don't think anyone would dispute that. But who the fuck knows?
1: Uh, Alistair Black finally uh, making an appearance uh, against Cesaro. So, again, another one that on paper could be fucking great. And if it's not, it's going to be tremendously disappointing if for some reason they find a way to not make this one work. Well, there's, a
0: lot, there's a lot of talk that this is a Heyman special. And considering that they've done shit all with Cesaro for how long um, and considering that Heyman is a huge proponent of Alistair Black and Cesaro for that matter, there could be some smoke to that fire. So if he does have some influence and there's talk that, uh, that he and Bischoff won't have you know, the full extent of their influence until after the show, then maybe it'll get treated with some level of respect, especially since they're attempting to make a star in black. So black should win. I think he will win. And I think I'm going to have faith that they're going to let Heyman kind of drive the bus on this one. And I think they're going to go out there have a good match where the right guy wins
1: right i i I think that's kind of the same thing too that hopefully we'll see if that goes that way but um it makes a lot of sense that yeah this would be something where where they say all right paul this is your guy all right have at it for him you know book however you want him do whatever you want to do and all that sort of stuff so i hope uh hope that's the way they go but i'm excited for this match again it has potential to be really really good cesar in a singles uh role i think is way better than him in the tag role we've talked about that many times with the bar we're not huge fans um but alistair black returning after you know be gone since april they've been doing promos with him and stuff a great opportunity for him to get on the map a great opportunity for cesaro to kind of spread his wings so i really i'm fingers crossed uh, this is a good match, and, and and we'll see where it goes. Uh United States title Ricochet defending the title against AJ Styles. Again, another like on paper, Extreme Rules rocks. But it's just like I've been so gunned. I mean, they haven't really delivered on pay-per-view in a while, and it's like, man, if they this is a lot of good matches. I mean, Ricochet, AJ Styles, Alistair Black Cesaro, the Revival versus Usos, Gulak versus Nice, like so far well, so good, man. Like it's
0: gonna get ugly in a minute.
1: But... Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> well, you know, hey, undercard solid, but yeah, good. um strap in.
0: <laughs> again, though. By all accounts, Ricochet is a guy that Heyman believes in. And the previous match and this match, these have sort of Heyman written all over them. The older guys, who still have credibility and can still go, putting over the next gen. So if we're going to be optimistic and say that he does have some influence and they're letting him stretch his legs a little, at least in the beginning then I could totally see a scenario where Ricochet, AJ Styles, they tell them, look, go out there and give us a great 18 minutes that makes Ricochet look like the next star in pro wrestling and Ricochet goes over. That would totally be a Paul Heyman move. So, again, I'm going to approach this optimistically because these feel like Heyman directives. They do. Um, so, you know, yeah. The last three matches all four matches that we've talked about so far, provided they get out of the way, they not only could be great matches, but they could tell good stories for the company moving
1: forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> and then we get uh, this one. Okay, we maybe have one more to go, and then things get a little wild. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team title, Triple Threat, Daniel Bryan and Rowan uh, versus the New Day versus Heavy Machinery.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's probably, yeah, I mean, you know, it could be a good little eight-minute match, and uh, you know, it, it, heavy machinery. I, I'm not gonna make the same talking points I I'm just, I, I'm never gonna be in. Right. So,
1: uh, we got SmackDown women's title match. We have Bayley versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. It's a handicap match. So uh, apparently, just, Alexa Bliss has some sinus infection or some fucking thing wrong with her again. Uh, Nikki Cross is in the match because of that. Uh, who cares? I I,
0: it's just, you know, it's like a handicap match. I'm already checked out. I don't. It's you know, they're good. This is gonna they're gonna be telling stories here. Um, I think Alexa Bliss is not very good. Um, there's some people who think she's fucking fantastic. I don't, I don't know what they're watching. Um, and, you know, this is just, this is storytelling time, and it's not a story I want to be told, and I would be stunned if I enjoy this at all on any level.
1: All right, and then we have a last-man-standing match. Braun Strowman, who recovered uh, from a ruptured spleen uh, two weeks ago, uh, versus Bobby Lashley, who uh, had no injuries from going through the video board. Uh, that made everybody gasp and ambulances be called. But they're good now. So uh, they're going to be the last-man-standing match, so it'll be a lot of guys laying on the mat while people count to seven. So <laughs> a lot of fun. I yeah, fucking hate last-man-standing. It. It's I just it. guys laying down and then a referee going, hey, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, dude, that's not fun. It's never been good. They stink. There's been like one or two of them that were good. The rest of them fucking suck. It's just a referee saying numbers. It
0: sucks. It's uh terrible stipulation and
1: you know, <laughs> I don't you know Mike Kiyoto going
0: sick not going to be what good yeah, I, I, you know they're going to do
1: <laughs>
0: they're going to do crazy things to each other as large men but um, you know it's not my
1: cup of tea oh my god I hope somebody goes to the barricade I hope uh, Bobby Lashley <laughs> beers run someone to the barricade kind of, kind and odd, goes, oh my god
0: what <laughs> kind of odds would you put on a barricade oh my
1: god dude uh one to two that that i would I, it, oh,
0: oh yeah okay yeah <laughs>
1: like, right like come on
0: yeah i i hear you you know it's 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 a 90 percent probability that someone goes through the and, and then they you know and then Kyoto's gonna be counting so, <laughs> seven yeah yeah, I tell you, this card goes downhill fast. It
1: really does. Let's go to this. The Undertaker and Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. I swear to God, that's a real match.
0: Everybody told us that the Cedric Alexander angle was great and it gets them kicked off.
1: <laughs> to be fair, not everybody, just a few, a, a very loud amount of loons. Right. Yeah, There there were plenty of them. There were more loons than there should have been. It should have been ni- oh, shit,
0: Rich, a shocking amount of lunatics.
1: Yeah, it should have been 100%. It, yeah, that fucking stunk, but it wasn't. I can't uh,
0: believe how many people thought that was good. That was legitimately one of the worst things I've ever seen in pro wrestling. So,
1: by the way, if you skipped Raw like you should do, uh, essentially what happened was is the entire night Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre were trying to find an, a, a tag team partner for Roman Reigns. So eventually they got to this janitor and he came out with a mask. Uh, so the janitor comes out in the mask and does a bunch of cool moves and stuff. And it's obvious is not.
0: This is awful already. It was a janitor. <laughs>
1: it's pretty terrible already. So it's obvious that this man is not a normal janitor. But in fact, a trained professional wrestling janitor. Um, anyway, this janitor <laughs> gets his fucking head kicked off by Drew McIntyre and pinned. So then it's already renders, all right, well, this guy fucking stinks. Oh,
0: he is a loser. Okay. He is
1: a loser. And then he takes his mask off. In a way to get like a pop, like, ah, 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 hey, I'm Cedric Alexander. And he's That's...
0: smiling like he accomplished something. <laughs> the crowd and doesn't Roland, care.
1: And, and Roman Roland...
0: is nodding in approval like, oh, you trickster. You really got him. But <laughs> he, he lost. lost. He lost the match. What did he He should have been oh so embarrassed God. and ashamed that <laughs> he, he just left cut the, the mask
1: on. Off. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Why would he take the mask off and admit that he lost? It doesn't make any sense. We actually had people telling us, "Oh, but this is good because Cedric got some offense off, so it was a positive." Right. Are you out of your fucking mind? He lost and then acted like he was was some kind of fucking brilliant mastermind, and he got Shane and Drew acting like they were had the wool pulled over there. What did they? They should have been laughing at him. They beat the guy. That was legitimately with no hyperbole one of the worst booked things i've ever seen in pro wrestling history i can't think of five scenarios that were booked worse than that
1: this is this is an all-timer this is and is I, an I mentioned that too and it got people upset when i was like this is all-time all-time worst bad. It, like is you have never and you you brought up many examples anybody in their head can think of a thousand examples where you do the the mask guy unveils himself and it is never after he gets his ass kicked, he goes, Hey, I'm this guy. Like, like the Halloween Phantom, you know, unmasking his Rick Rude after he loses to fucking Tom Zank. Like Tom Zank just beats the fuck out of him and he unmasks, I'm Rick Rude. It's like, oh God, it's Rick Rude. But he just fucking lost to Tom Zank. Who would give a shit? You know, SQL Faye gets tossed out of the ro- the battle royal yeah. and unmasks. I'm Dimaso. It's like, oh, who cares, dude? You just got No one
0: cares. Out. You have to go now third. And <laughs> right. say, like, listen, this is the easiest storyline to get over. I'm surprised they don't use it more. And they managed to fuck up the easiest angle possible. Th- this is so simple. The guy in the mask kicks ass and wins, pulls off the mask. Oh, my God. That guy's now instantly a player. It's so easy. It's right in front of you. You you can't tell me with Paul Heyman and fucking – and and all of those agents. Just name all the fucking names. All of the people who have been in wrestling – For decades in that room that nobody had the balls to say to that old crusty man, this is fucking stupid. He either needs to win the match or we shouldn't put him in it. Because that's the other thing. Everyone's like, oh, well, he can't win because Shane and Drew have to face the Undertaker at the paper. They don't book the match. You don't have to book this. They they do it next week and have him win. Having a, this was legitimately. I cannot think of five things ever that were worse booked than this segment was. It was so comically bad, you would think that they did it on purpose because Cedric Alexander fucked somebody's wife or fucking pissed somebody off.
1: That's how bad this was. I almost do think it had to be. Like I, I can't fathom this company and and you know what they've done and and even man for whatever we said that that anybody with especially with quote unquote Paul Heyman sort of running the show or having some influence. That somebody, anybody, didn't say, no, we can't do this to this guy. This is a complete disaster. Unless they wanted to, like you said, they wanted to bury him six feet deep. Because that, that is the only logical option here is that we wanted to bury the fuck out of Cedric Alexander.
0: Paul Heyman would have never booked this. I, this is, it's like, there's no way he would have said this. Is a, th- that man would have never said that this is a good idea. This reeks to me of he got his way on some other things like some of the things we've been talking about, and he had to give a little. You, you got to pick your battles, and this was not one they picked. Right. You let the old man win this one. Because this has Vince McMahon written all over it. It's so stupid that there's no <laughs> way anybody else came up with this. Oh, this God. is just as bad as anything WCW did under Vince oh, this
1: Oh, is, this is WCW 2000 for sure.
0: There's, it's just as bad. There's nothing WCW did that's objectively worse than what this was. It's equally bad to anything Vince Russo ever did. That's how atrocious this was. It, it doesn't get any worse than having the masked guy lose and then act like he did something good. Rich, if he would have <laughs> taken off, let me listen. If he would have taken off the mask and looked dejected.
1: Yeah, throwing the mask down and get out of the and ring then, and shove Roman Reigns out of the way or something like that. Yeah.
0: And Roman's like, hey, man, it's cool, but he's like pounding his fist on the mat and he's like, no, I let myself down and he's pissed off. I would have been okay with that. Now you have a story to tell, right? He tried his best. He tried to he, – he did what he had to do to get in the main event, but he came up short. Roman's not mad at him. He's kind of proud of him. He's like, ah, "It's all right, man. You know, We'll get him next time. But he's annoyed, and he's pounding his fist on the mat, and he's dejected. And now you tell a story of this guy who's now determined to prove that he does belong. And then maybe in three months, he does beat Drew McIntyre. That's a pretty decent story, right? That's not bad. I'd be okay with that. This man cannot lose and take off the mask and act like he was a fucking winner. You can't do that. <laughs> I can't believe that anyone on earth defended this and it wasn't just one person. And yeah, you're right. It wasn't the majority. Most people agree that it was, it
1: was more than zero. And that should not have occurred because
0: exactly (laughs) there's not one person on fucking earth who should have defended this as anything, even remotely positive. It was legitimately one of the worst things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Anyway,
1: well now this we is the same to night too. This is the same night too. Speaking about Raw where we had the uh the mixed match <laughs> elimination match.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> where the men and women can't face each other. Yeah. But it's an elimination. But
0: it's an match. elimination ba- <laughs> In other words, you have to have back-to-back eliminations <laughs> or the match would still be happening. Wouldn't it be great if it was like a video game glitch and like uh a woman got eliminated, right? And then a man, and it was down to a man and a woman, but they weren't allowed to rest. They right, st- so they're just
1: they're just like doing their little pose in the ring together. Their like shoulders are just bouncing up and down.
0: Four days later, they're still in the <laughs> ring staring at each other, and Raw isn't over yet because they're not allowed to make contact. I mean, what the Idiots. fuck? Is going on
1: here? <laughs> Eat your heart out, Reverse Battle Royal. But uh, who anyway. gave us that
0: idea? Who called it a video game? Play? Someone tweeted that. Of us. I forget. Yeah,
1: they should. We should give them credit, but I don't remember who it was. It so.
0: was um. Ah, it was Trevor the Irish wrestling fan, wasn't it, who called it, I think. Oh, he, he did,
1: yeah, Robert did say that, yeah. He
0: described it as, you're playing like the WWE. Well, he
1: said, he said you were, like, fucking around on WWE 2K or Fire Pro, and you make, like, a match stipulation where you just try to see all the options that are possible, but then you end up kind of, like, breaking the game because then it can't actually. Right. Like, like you, you make a submission match, then there's no submissions or whatever, so it's just, like, Volkan, like, trying to, like, tap out Ken Shamrock, but then, like, nothing ever happens because they can't.
0: You make a submission match, but you edit the wrestler's movesets for no submissions. <laughs> right. So like, just because you're bored and you want to see what happens. Right.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: like that was, it, like, I think it was it was uh, Trevor, the Irish wrestling fan, who sent us that. Because that's exactly what. Yeah, this that's, was. no, it,
1: it was. Yeah, he said you just fuck around with, like, the game modes and you end up with breaking it because, because it's you're banned.
0: trying to break the game on purpose. Like, yeah. that's what this was. It's so bad. So now we're treated to The Undertaker. Who has looked atrocious <laughs> in his last what, half a dozen appearances in the ring. So we get him again. And um, uh, you know, he's in there with fifty something year old Shane McMahon, who we know he has incredible chemistry with, Rich, because we've seen <laughs> these men have fantastic matches with each other before. And uh, you know, so away we go. They don't even follow up the Cedric Alexander thing by throwing him a bone and putting <laughs> him oh, in the spot. No, so you know, it's everyone, you know, so it's it's the Undertake. I don't know. What do you want me to say about this? Exactly. It's, it's a no hold tag
1: match. Who fucking cares? Uh, Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe for the WWE Championship.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, Kofi, I presume, will retain. And, um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's had had an (laughs) underwhelming title reign. I don't know what else to say. It hasn't been great. Are you excited about the Kofi Kingston title reign? Not really,
1: no. Um, I also don't love that uh, Joe loses the title ricochet and then just moves
0: up. It's a world title. Yeah, well, I mean, we complain about that in New Japan all the time. Like, guys fail up, and it's weird. And why are you doing that? Like, yeah, it sucks. Anyway.
1: Uh, And then our main event, a last chance. Winners take all mixed tag Team Extreme Rules Match for both the WWE Universal Championship <laughs> and the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Joe, do you want to tell me what happens in a Last Chance, Winner Take All, Mixed Tag Team Extreme Rules Match? It's a lot What's of your words. favorite? Sorry, before I ask that, what is your favorite all-time Last Chance, Winners Take All, Mixed Tag Team Extreme Rules Match? It's only one. Of, you can only pick one.
0: It's a lot of words. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> What's your, I mean, is this going to be your favorite? I mean, this has got to be the de facto leader in the clubhouse.
0: So, it's like... Can like okay, so the men can't beat up the women, right?
1: Uh, because they say mixed tag, not inter- so no, indeed, that uh, yeah, so but, they have to tag out so,
0: but the women can beat up the men because we've seen women tap out men. I mean, Mike Canellis tapped out to uh, uh, Becky Lynch, right?
1: Well, yeah, but he's a
0: so why can't Lacey Evans hit the women's right on Seth Rollins? She and might, the title? she might. Because, you know, if Lacey Evans hits the women's right this Sunday at Extreme Rules and the winners take all mixed tag, Extreme Rules match for the WWE Universal Raw. Last World chance. Champions
1: last chance winners take all. It's important, the last chance part. Then I she think.
0: could be the WWE Universal champion. Yeah. How could anyone give a fuck about this match? <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you think Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch really fuck?
1: I don't. They have the worst chemistry ever. Or if they do, they need to stop. because it's- So you are on team. It's a work. I'm not on I'm not necessarily on team it's a work but I'm on team it's the fucking like most boring relationship ever. The chemistry is just awful. It's just they're either the biggest dorks in the world or it's a work.
0: Well, Seth Rollins is unequivocally the biggest dork in the world. I think we all know that. But and and Becky Lynch is kind of like a dork but it's like she's a charming dork. She's always had that dork quality to her. But it's like uh, she's a charismatic dork. It works for her. He's a dork but he's just a dork. You know what I mean? But a lot of people think that this is all a work and they're not really a couple. And that this is just, uh, you know, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes for the storyline purposes. I don't buy into that. I think they're actually a couple. But this all does come off weird and a little creepy. And because Seth is such a weirdo. Like, the more we learn about Seth Rollins, the more that he's kind of a, I don't know, he's just kind of a dweeb. You know what I mean? I don't know. But, um, This is way more time I wanted to spend on this match than
1: absolutely. I think we're done. So, that's the uh, uh, who do you think's coming away uh, from the last chance winners take all mixed tag team extreme rules match? As uh, I just
0: would like to see, you know, I would like to burn it down (laughs) and just watch the world burn and just put the title on Baron Corbin. Why not? They love Baron Corbin so much. Just fucking have Baron Corbin hit the end of days or whatever the fuck, goofy Arnold Schwarzenegger movie finisher he they call it, whatever it is, and have him win the fucking title. And you know, put it on good-looking Baron Corbin, and you know, uh, who Vince has this homoerotic of uh, you know uh, 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 attraction to, and and just do it, just go all the way with it.
1: Just yeah, I, I, I want to watch the world burn too. I like Shane McMahon cashes in, even though he doesn't have a briefcase, he just cashes in his best in the world briefcase. Like, they'll just make up a briefcase, and Shane McMahon wins the SmackDown title. I mean, that, that's my goal is in life is WWE champion Shane McMahon, Universal champion Baron Corbin. I think. Well, Heyman
0: promised to cash in again.
1: Oh, right. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but oh, also yeah. said in his promo, you know, I could be lying to <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. God damn it. That's company stinks. Just...
1: God damn it. All right. We
0: almost got through it being optimistic.
1: So. <sighs> we did. We got halfway through and then you were like, ah, careful, careful, careful. How much time? And you were right. We are out of time. So I think we're gonna have to go to the overrun unfortunately for Slammiversary and these two news and notes about uh, uh, Paco Alonso and Julia Akiyama. So are you fine with that? Because we would have literally uh, a minute to get to all three of those topics. So Patreon.com
0: slash Voice of Wrestling. $2 tier for the overrun, but why not go all out? and Just
1: spend $3 more. Yeah, you may as well. Going to get a lot more forward. Anyway, uh, we want to thank our sponsor for this episode, ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. Also follow us on Twitter at VoicesWrestling, VoicesWrestling.com. Anyway, we'll be at the overrun, Patreon.com slash VoicesWrestling, VoicesWrestling.com slash Patreon. We'll do our last three topics on there. So thank you so much. For Joe, I'm Rich. Bye.